0: I think that the whole movie, Anvil, is about empathy. And I knew that this film had the potential to reach people way beyond metal, beyond music, and it was about the human spirit. And what we discovered from the film was that it was about not giving up. You know, it was about friendship, it was about family, it was about not giving up on a dream. And like, what could be more universal than that? And I think that's why, here we are 13 years later, releasing the film again, it's because of those themes.
1: Everybody's closing down their shop because they're burnt out and they have no heart left to do it, and they're they're quitting. And it's like if you're a real artist, you should be here till you're pushing up daisies. And that's the end yeah. of it.
2: But you know, I'm not gonna that's quit true. on myself. Yeah. What for? Like I can't I can't cope with that notion.
1: Yeah, why didn't you quit? Hey, you quit what you hate. Right, not what you love. Not what you love.
3: Podcast. What does it take to pursue an audacious goal to never give up on your dream, no matter the odds, no matter the obstacles? Well, there's lots of answers to that question, but a couple of them that come to mind are unwavering conviction and superhuman courage, which are topics explored in today's conversation with my friend, Sasha Gervasi. Sasha is a writer, he's a filmmaker, and he's a documentarian behind a film called Anvil, The Story of Anvil, which is this incredibly unlikely, can you even believe this is real, sort of spinal tap movie about an unlikely 80s metal band who never quite made it, but refused to give up. And the protagonists of that film join us with Sasha today Their names are Lips Kudlow and Rob Reiner. This self-financed indie, much like the band it portrays was almost never even seen by anybody, but against all odds, it became this cult classic. It inspired millions and it's now lauded as one of the greatest rock and roll documentaries of all time. And it gave the band the break they've been longing for. In another twist of unlikely favor, extending on this theme of never giving up, During the pandemic, the documentary was discovered by a whole new generation of young people and in unprecedented fashion is now being re-released 13 years after it first premiered in 200 theaters across the United States this week and later rolling out across Europe and beyond. Even if you have absolutely zero interest in metal music, I'm telling you, you're gonna love this film. I encourage all of you to check it out in the theater. And I think you're gonna love this conversation as well because Sasha, who by the way is appearing for his third appearance on the show, check my archive if you missed those episodes, is a very entertaining individual. He's a truly gifted storyteller. His anvil protagonists, Lips and Rob are also unbelievably endearing. They're incredibly earnest. And dare I go so far as to say that Lips just might be the self-help guru you never knew you needed. And together, they are inspiring examples of perseverance in the face of extraordinary obstacles. So after a brief word from the fine sponsors that make this show possible, please enjoy. We're brought to you today by On. with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. All right, here's me, Sasha, and the guys from New York.
0: this is man. a celebration the gang man. is here uh, this we is got a celebration sasha of- we
3: got rob we got lips everybody is in the house my intention for this is that i'm going to be so bold as to say that this will be the definitive anvil podcast what do you think
0: sasha i'm so thrilled about <laughs> prospect i'm just so happy because these guys just flew in from toronto late last night and we've been hanging out all morning and as with as always is with us. It's just like going back to when I was 15, nothing has changed. Right. We were talking about the original Anvil Road Crew a few minutes ago, which was yep. me, uh, Brick, Vegas, Spider, Jethro, and me, my Anvil nickname was T-Bag. And Strange. And Strange. And Strange. Yeah. Strange was another guy who I'm going to talk later. I haven't, last time I saw him was on a, a tour of Canadian hockey arenas in 1985, but I'm going to yeah. FaceTime with Strange right. later. Yeah. So it's just this history that just continues to evolve. It never seems to stop. <laughs>
3: Well, I think we need to contextualize all of this, so I think it would be great if we just start at the beginning with Sasha, your kind of first introduction to these guys (laughs) and kind of how everything unfolded from there. Well, the
0: first introduction to these guys was literally on there was a, a, a magazine similar to Rolling Stone in the UK called Sounds, and Sounds was the rock heavy metal kind of music paper. NME was the kind of poncy-fancy kind of posers paper, but Sounds was like the real people, read Sounds. And I think it was April the 6th, 1982, I went to my local newsagent in St. John's Wood on Abbey Road and I saw the cover of Sounds. And it said, it literally was a photo of a man dressed head to toe in bondage gear, holding a chainsaw and clutching a dildo between his teeth. And it said, Anvil is coming. And I thought, <laughs> I have no idea who this fucking band is. I like this band. And the reason I like them was this is really going to piss off my mother. This is just going to really upset her. Because my mother had gone to Juilliard and was a concert pianist and a classical pianist and uh, wanted me to play piano. And we were kind of arguing. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to get into metal. And anyway, so I bought... your you're the- 15. I was... 14 and a half, 15, yeah, at this point. And uh, I'd already gone out to shows, you know, like most teenagers, you know, the parents have no idea what they were doing, but I was like going out, like leaving at 13 and a half. I would go downtown to the Marquee on Wardle Street. That club was very famous because Hendrix and The Doors and all these different people had played at the Marquee in the 60s. But by the early 80s, it was like the, the center of something called the new wave of British heavy metal, which had a beautiful acronym, NWOBUM. That was, that was what it was. And so I was a young fan who would go down and I would see Iron Maiden and I would see Def Leppard and all these bands. Like I remember seeing Randy California from Spirit and all these crazy bands. And I would slip out at night. My mom had no idea I was going there. Anyway, <laughs> so in the Sounds interview, I suddenly learned about this heavy Canadian band from Toronto. And ironically, my mother's family had been from Toronto. So there was already an instant connection. And they had this record that was already a legend before anyone had even heard it it was called metal on metal and it was literally the front cover was a buzzsaw sawing an anvil in half i thought (laughs) could it be more metal and it was called metal on metal um and i just absolutely had to get the album i got the album it was Astonishing! It was so heavy. There was stuff I hadn't really heard before. Particularly, uh, there was a song called March of the Crabs. There was a song called 666, where it was really the first time I had heard thrash metal played at such a ferociously intense volume and rate and the musicianship was extraordinary Lips' voice was growling and like for me the thing that really stuck stuck out because I was an aspiring drummer because you know my mother said you know you should learn classical piano and I was but I thought you know what was really going to piss her off is I'm going to be a heavy metal drummer so then Rob Reiner came into my life and I would listen to Rob play these things and I just could not I was just like blown away by his drumming I'd mm. never heard any drummer as heavy as Rob I'd heard a lot of amazing people like Ginger Baker and Carmine Appice and all these great, you know, fantastic drummers, Steve Gadd, obviously genius, but no one with the heaviness of Rob Reiner. And so when I discovered that they were going to play at the Marquis in September 1982, so I got the Sounds in April, I bought the record that month, and through the whole of the summer of 1982, Anvil's Metal on Metal was like blaring at top volume through my house. My mother was going out of her mind.
3: (laughs) And this is a moment in which I suspect most of your peers are into Bowie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the other thing.
0: I was at a school where everyone was like into the doors and Bowie and the Stooges. And like, I'm the loser walking across schoolyard in like black leg warmers with like my rush waistcoat. And like, just, I was, everyone gave me so much shit. And then I thought, you know what? Fuck them, man. I'm the punk. I'm the guy getting all the abuse. And I was like, and then I said to my friend who was like, um, Jake, who was like into kind of punk and the clash and everything, right? I said, you're you all dress the same. You've all got the bondage trousers and the same fucking hair. And I fuck you, I'm the punk. So like the more they attacked me, the more metal I became. Uh-huh. And I would start going to these shows and I went to a you know a boarding sort of public boarding school in England called Westminster. And so I was very much like the the ugly duckling at that school by a very, very long way. And um so the more defiantly kind of attacked I was the more defiantly metal I became. And I discovered that Anvil was playing at the marquee Um, and so I decided to go and I was so fucking lucky because I went to see the band and literally lips flew out of the changing room at the back clutching a dildo and he played his flying v and i mean like you got to understand I mean, with a bunch of teenage boys we'd never seen or heard anything like this right he had the chainsaw rob was like you couldn't even see his face his hair was like he would do this move which i call tumbling boulders where you just couldn't even see how his hands were moving <laughs> i was just like it was like any person who remembers their first show where their face was melted off. It was like my whole head was melted off. I was like, anyway, I was like, and that place was packed. And later, years later, I discovered so many bands that became bands were also there that night. So many really interesting people, like members of Def Leppard, like Jonas Ackland, the video director, mm. and, you know, every, you know, members of the Tigers of Pan Tang. And uh, that, moment was a huge moment in my life and it was also a huge moment for Anvil and I was desperate to meet them and so what happened was uh I went in the long line and there were these two security guys right and anyway uh this guy called um Gary Barden was the lead singer of the Michael Schenker group and he was in an argument with the bouncer with his girlfriend to get his girlfriend backstage to meet Anvil right and um I just took advantage of the moment and I slipped in. So the security guy was trying to get Michael Schenker's singer to stay away. And I just kind of got in behind them. And I literally walked in and there were members of Iron Maiden, members of Def Leppard, like all my heroes were in that room congratulating this band. And I was just like, fuck, I'm the youngest person in here by like at least five to 10 years. And I went right up to... To Anvil, uh, I went right up to Rob and to Lips, and I said, "I am your number one fan in England. My name is Sasha, and I am just..." and I started asking Rob questions about the drums, and I just was so. We we we
1: we were were both going like, "This kid, it's a kid, and he knows everything. He knows more than anybody else in this." It's here.
2: Yeah, he, uh-huh. he, he had a special magic about yeah. him, is what I remember. And I, we invited him in. I said, well, okay, I, said, I, said, I said
0: like on tag team, between the, the, the middle eight and the verse, when you do this flip thing with that, you know, I was talking to Rob technically about what he was doing. And I was, I had millions of questions. I was like, how do you do that? And are you using both feet or are you doing whatever? And then I was asking lips about, you know, how they work together as a band. And so I had tons of questions. Now, the first thing I noticed about Anvil was I'm some 15 year old, no one kid, right? and they were talking to me and there were Joe Elliott and whoever of Def Leppard. There was members of Motorhead, Fast Eddie Clark. They're like massive mega people. And these two guys were interested in what their fan had to say. And mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, I not well, believe tr- it. The yeah, truth it, it, was it, it,
1: that none of these people, none of the other people even knew our songs. They don't own our records. They don't know the songs they just heard. They're just, they're,
3: Ligging the moment. Right. Basically. And you're like, we're going to talk to this kid. Away. This but kid's but into it. And so it's like really a crazy sliding doors moment. Like, had yeah. you not done the runaround with the bouncer?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how, how I was would so happy. Different? That, <laughs> I was so happy that Gary <laughs> Barden was in love with, with this woman <laughs> and had to get her in or he wasn't coming in. But it was every rock star, every metal and hard rock person at that time was at that show and was absolutely blown away. And I was just the lucky one who got in. And as it turned out, I said, you know, look, I just want to let you know, I'm. I'm offering my services. I'll be your tour guide. I don't care. And they were laughing and they were like, well, I I said, how many times have you been to London? And they said, well, we've never been here before. And I said, great, I'm going to show you around. So I agreed to meet him. Yeah, that's where we were at, where we were. (laughs) And he showed up. So the next day, I took them to the Houses of Parliament, the Tate Gallery, introduced them to Turner. You know, I took them all over the the sites of London. And it was so fun. I remember being on the tube, getting off the tube with, with all of you. And the tube driver was an Anvil fan, do you remember? And he like, I remember he honked the car and he was like, metal. And I was like, Anvil was like happening in London. And I felt so privileged that I'm like their fan who happened to meet them. So I take them everywhere. The best part was I took them back to number 54 Abbey Road where I grew up in London. I took them back and my mother answered the door and and she saw the me. It was like, no, it was like the the nightmare scenario because I'd played that album all summer and she told me to take it away. And she was just like, she was going out of her mind. So when I showed up with Anvil, she looked at me, she looked at them and then she said, you've got 10 minutes and she (laughs) decided upstairs. And I was like, I brought them into my room and it was really weird because I was, you know, the biggest Anvil fan. And then they walked into my bedroom. I got posters of metal on metal all Mm. over my walls and everything. And so they were so sweet with me and I just felt like how lucky it is to be able to meet your heroes and then to have time with them and they actually even gave a shit to listen to you, it was like really notable. And then, anyway, so at the end of the couple of days, and they were staying at the Columbia Hotel, and I went to hang out with them, and then I got to know the guys from Twisted Sister, who I also know the the those guys, and Dee Snyder and AJ Perra and all those guys. And um, at the end of the two or three days, we kind of really, well, you know, I was like so happy that they, you know, were being nice to me. And um, Lips and Rob said, hey, hey, what are you doing next summer? And I said, well, you know, I'm at school and then I'll probably be on school holidays. I was like 14 and a half at that point or 15. And um, they said, do you wanna come and be a roadie on our tour? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So basically my mom and my father split up and my dad was living in New York. He worked at the United Nations. And I said to my mother, look, I really wanna go see my dad for this summer and she was like shocked like why do you want to see your father right. i was like well you know i think it's time we need to talk anyway so i totally bullshitted an excuse to get a ticket to new york and i flew to new york the following summer and i said to my dad look if i'm being really honest the reason i'm here is because anvil this mega heavy canadian thrash metal band has asked me to come on tour as as the drum roadie um and so <laughs> my dad who you know was uh, you know he worked for john f kennedy (laughs) you know he was an economist he (laughs) taught at oxford you know he was like i showed him the photos he was like fucking horrified (laughs) i said dad it's really important to me please can can i just please go on tour with anvil and he said i have to meet them I'll only do it. And so he drove me up to Albany where I joined the tour and he said, I'm going to go and talk to Lips and Rob. And he was wearing his three-piece suit, you know, and um, he he talked to Lips and Rob and I don't quite know what was said. I think it was something along the lines of just keep you, him away.
1: You're going to watch know. out for my son or you, keep that, him away that he, that he doesn't get
0: him sa- get in trouble here yeah. and you guys are not... It's be like a concerned parent, right? Yeah. But you all understand, my, my father was is looking at Lips and Rob at, you know, and, you know, the, the album with him with the dildo the on the cover. Yeah. And he's like an <laughs> Oxford academic. And it's like, you know, but whatever happened between them, my dad came out and he said, I actually think they're okay. And you can go for three weeks. And I was just, mm. I was so overwhelmed with joy that I was able to go on the road with these guys.
3: Yeah, and you, and you remember that encounter? Yeah, and it,
1: I thought it was so weird that this- Yeah, this parent thing the was way happening. That,
3: that, that, <laughs> I mean, it
1: wasn't the first inter, inter, rea, interaction that we had with Sasha's parents that we obviously knew his mom too. And when, they, when he says they, they knew my mom, what happened was- uh, I, I just, When he I think, showed up at the hotel in England- the phone rings in our room and she goes, I pick up the phone and she goes, hello, I'm Sasha Gervasi's mother. Is my son there? And I go, yes, hold on. Uh, it's for you. <laughs> and it was my mom had tracked me down. And the first thing so I like, How did you find me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what had happened was I'd called a mini-cab company, and she found and tracked where they were. And then she called me and then she came. Anyway, so she came to the hotel room and just like said, Stay right there. And she literally pulled me out by my ear. And said, you are not hanging out with these people. And anymore. I could hear her screaming down. She, going walking screaming. Down the hall with them. she was like, yeah. You've got to stay away from these people. They're bad news, and you're a well-educated good boy, and you can't. Hang out with a guy who wears bondage harnesses and plays his <laughs> guitar with a dildo. It's outrageous, and you know it was a real scene that happened all the time. Anyway, so yeah, so then my dad was the other parent who, and but my dad, I think whatever for whatever reason, he really loved. He just thought, okay, these guys are cool, and I think he made you promise to st- keep away from alcohol and drugs. And yeah, we said
1: yeah, you said tell me just make sure that he doesn't go near anything. Yeah, that's going to get him in trouble. I said you don't worry about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, he's not going to see any wrongdoings
0: while he's on my watch. And then cut to the tour. And that's often why I was locked into the tour bus. So I was also locked on the tour bus. Well, there were things things going going on. He never saw. You you, you never saw. You you did protect him. Yeah, no, totally. Oh, yeah.
1: But you know what? When my dad... was a kid. You don't let a kid walk into the middle of a...
0: squirly having an orgy no i don't well, he think was the so um dave allison who was yeah so what so, but what happened was my dad came back and he said those guys gave me gave me their word and i believe them so you can go for 3 weeks and i just had it was like uh, it was an extraordinary experience to be out on the road with this band You know, I sat behind Rob Reiner every night. I helped build his drum kit. I watched him play, like, as he was playing, like, you know, Mothra or Metal on Metal Mm -hmm. or 666 or whatever. He would do some crazy lick that I'd asked about when we first met. And he would turn around to me and go, You will never be able to do that. Like it was
2: like But I would pick up as many yeah, of you know that, yeah. that look that you oh, yeah. It was I, so and, I, cool. I, and I used to enjoy doing that. I go, okay, Sash, here's
0: one that you're fucking this one's a good one, watch this. And then I give that look like, see? And, and like, I was right behind him. And you've got to understand that at that mm-hmm. time there were all these young. You know, metal fans like me, right. you know, and who was I good would time. run into the show, you know, was a guy called Scott Ian, who later went on to form Anthrax, and Lars Ulrich, who was, you know, a, t- a 15-year-old Danish tennis prodigy who was just getting interested in music, and so many other people that were kind of around and just you know, even pre-band, were just thinking about what to do. I mean, millions of people. And Jonas was in that Swedish metal band, Bathory, and then mm-hmm. yeah, all right. these yeah, different yeah. Oh, Jonas p- Well, that had a whole, that, yeah. that's another yeah. another um, sort of thing
1: that happened at the marquee at that at that particular time and point in the history, is two members of this band called Candlemass from Sweden we're also at
0: the show. We're also yeah, yeah.
1: with their friend from Bathory, which is Jonas, Jonas. Ackerlund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they right. came to see us. They take a Jonas takes a picture of me with the two guys, and here we are as young kids, whatever. Years later, I mean, like years later, we just previous to actually reconnecting with Sasha. We go to do this f- festival in Italy, and we're sitting in a in a in a in a bus camper. A little ca- camper bus kind of thing, and there's a knock at the door, and there's these two f- freaky guys, and they go, "We're the guitar player and bass player from uh, the band Candlemass. Yeah, we uh-huh. met you in 1982, around and, the same
0: time." Right, and yeah, I And, yeah, and, yeah, and, and they So,
1: but. and I'm, I'm going, "Wait a minute! These are those Swedish guys that we met on Carnaby Street." That's right. And they're going, that, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah." That. And then yeah. all of a sudden, I start saying, "All of us." And 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 I start telling them about Sasha. And I go, and I haven't seen this guy in years, but that was, you You were with us when, when you took us to get the bullet belts on Carnaby Street. That's right. We bumped into these two
3: guys right. from Sweden who became in the massive... And yeah, brand. for people that don't, Jonas Ackerland becomes yeah. this super successful yeah, music but, video it, director but, but and then all feature film kids director. Director. That's in,
1: right, yeah. in the same place. So we all end up at the marquee and we're all... So here we are in Los Angeles after the movie, i sitting there and... All of a sudden, I see this big, tall guy with black hair coming, long black hair comes walking up to me, goes, Hi, I'm Jonas Ackerman. I was at your show and at the Marquee, and... In, with, in, so, with so many other people. And I go, he says, yeah, it was with the guys in Candlemouse. I go, are you kidding me? What? Well, wait a minute. That means that you know Sasha. You should know Sasha. You were all there at
0: the same we time. Went, was so so many I ran people. and yeah, got yeah, yeah.
1: Sasha. I go, you got to meet this guy. He was at the show too. And I didn't know that Jonas Ackerland was this... Massive, video, Massive director. Yeah. Video, video director, YouTube, he, was, he was, to, to me, he was the Magana's guy that I videos, that took yeah. the picture of the guy. And of us. And I was, it was more of a, of, of a, uh, wow, look at this guy was at the marquee too that I'm mm. introducing. And the other person that, like, wow. that we
0: should was a guy called the right honorable Philip Harvey. He was known as the Lord of metal. He mm. was an English aristocrat who would go on safari in, in, in Kenya, take his Land Rover, come back, back to London and he, I met him through these guys because. Yeah, well, when we when, like, we when uh, we
1: did the Donington Festival, right.
0: we finished the Donington Festival. There's a guy,
1: a, a freak guy, standing there with a, a denim jacket with more patches than you can fit on it, and and he, he, he's in front of a safari van. It's like, and he comes over to us. Go, hi there, I'm all, you've got some pretty serious denims. A really really fucking cool <laughs> older guy, right? And. He introduces we were hanging out with him. As it turns out, this is this is the same guy that Jimi Hendrix spent the last night with. Last yeah. night, last and night. And he wow. had and he
0: had this and he had wow. this house in Clark's Muse. Phil Harvey had this party house, which was behind Marlborough High Street. And Near would, Baker I, Street. Baker Street. And I was invited to go to this house. And I literally met the world. Like members of I'll tell you several stories, but he was Monica Daneman, who was Hendrix's last girlfriend, was there. There were all these incredible. I mean, I remember City, he invited me over sunday lunch one day i'm 15 and a half at the time right and i'm sitting there at this table and suddenly this camper van comes into the muse right and the, the door slides open and this massive cloud of, of of weed like comes out comes into the back door and it said oh this is my mate you know and and so he opened the back door and this guy sat down and was smoking dope, <laughs> and like he he parts his hair to smoke the dope and it's Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Wow. And I'm sitting there at 15, like meeting all these extraordinary people, not just Anvil, but like <laughs> everyone, and then Monica, and then all these crazy artists, and he knew like Dali. Back in the day, mm. and so Phil was a character who connected us, and those parties were legendary. Yeah. With like yeah, Twisted Sister and Maiden and Mose. Oh, it, it
1: was unbelievable. Well, this, guy, this guy, this guy and he's got. Uh, you know when they say "served on a silver platter," I mean served on a silver. He came platter, out with a silver with platter. A reference. silver platter right. filled with every drug.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> under the in yeah, the and, universe. And, and Would you, know, ma- you like some sir? <laughs> it's like oh, and I, and, and I made sure that
0: my mother did not track me down Oh my god. So that was the. <laughs> <laughs> world it was so unexpected and crazy and then flash forward to many years later after the movie came out um when these guys went to the classic rock awards and jimmy page of led zeppelin came up to both of those guys and said thank you for doing what you do because you keep me inspired doing what you do. and that was uh, the you give, yeah, you, give you give us all yeah you give us all hope, hope. Yeah. that's what jimmy page yeah. said to yeah, these i
2: was guys. shocked when i heard all that that's unbelievable yeah, i was just standing there go did i just hear
0: that Really? From Jimmy Page, From Jimmy yeah.
1: Page, like, you know, huh? yeah, like and,
2: and, and, and he went, went,
0: moving, yeah. went
1: out of his way, it came right up to both of us. It's like, wow, that is yeah,
2: that the the, the, the movie really affect uh, yeah. somehow. Yeah. I mean, that on had many to be people.
3: surreal after everything that you guys have endured and the oh, yeah. Yeah. really the last like, uh, the last bunch I mean, of years. I can't
1: tell you that, that that particular night at the at the at the Classic Rock Awards was. Uh, for me, most earth-moving moment of my of my life, there there wasn't anybody <laughs> there that didn't actually somehow come up and congratulate me. And but I'm not talking about pe- people. I'm talking about the most famous musicians in the world. Mm. And I'm like going. What I the,
0: mean when when we just, had our when we had our premiere in New York, I remember we were. Yeah, it was all just surreal because we didn't yeah, know. You know, we were we were talking no to Jack
1: Bruce for
2: Christ, yeah. come and, and, on, and, 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 man, and
0: Paul McCartney. As well. well you no, know, no, no, not No, crit- No, you know, no. That's, sure. that's somewhere else. Spent. Oh, yeah, somewhere else, somewhere else. But anyway, but so I was at the, we were at the Barry Hotel, and the, thank you to Sean McPherson, who owns the Barry Hotel, because he literally loved the movie and he was like, just screen it all the time. And we had everyone from like David Byrne of Talking Heads and all these incredible people coming and just loving it and meeting the band and, and doing all this stuff. And one night we were there, and Lips comes out from having a smoke on the terrace, and he said, There's this English guy and this black guy out there, and they really want to meet you. And anyway, so I go. <laughs> (laughs) out and they're like the uber anvil fans and it's like uh chris martin and jay-z and lips had absolutely no idea who they were
1: (laughs) (laughs) hey there's this there's an english guy and a and a and a a black guy man they 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 love the anvil movie they had me sit down and have bought me a drink and everything Uh you gotta
0: meet these guys and that would just go on all the time and then at the i remember in la do you remember that whole oh oh the Dustin Hoffman thing oh, was that, incredible. That was great. So oh, Dustin was so, weird, all his Dustin shit. Hoffman went to see the movie like three or four times. He brought all of his kids to see it. And then he came to the premiere with Ryan Gosling and all these people, right? And he came up to the, them afterwards and said, he was talking about the, the Jewish aspect of the story, which is a huge part of mm-hmm. the film for those who haven't seen it. And he was talking about how he related. And anyway, so he was in floods of tears and I was trying to get to them. And so Lips and Rob were talking and, you know, talking about because for those of you who haven't seen the film, you know, an important thing that was revealed actually while we were shooting was that Rob told me that his uh, grandfather had unfortunately passed away at Auschwitz and his father, as a 15-year-old, had escaped. Mm-hmm. And so when Rob wanted to be a heavy metal drummer, his dad was like, great, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. And paid for the Chase first album. you know, it was an extraordinary story. And so Dustin was really relating to that. But the best part of it was, <laughs> was when Rob like was listening to him and Dustin's crying and Rob's going yes like that and then Rob, Rob sides to me and he goes is that the guy from Papillon <laughs> And the, the, the thing was that he wasn't quite sure, and it was just dust, completely in tears. And that was what was great is that, is everyone, that Rob didn't know who these people right. were. Yeah, yeah.
3: But that just makes it all the sweeter. Yeah, it was very we, we charming. Could, yeah, we a lot could of do charm a photo figures. session
1: here somewhere, and, and the guy there was a, a Canadian photographer who was freaking out that we were there. He go, and he's, at that particular moment, he was working with Sandra Bullock. And he comes running. He grabs Rob and I. Takes us into where Sandra is getting her her makeup done, and she meets us and all this. And then Rob comes out and goes, "That's a pretty hard check,
0: who is she?" <laughs> you know, that was just <laughs> usual. Anyway, that went on. It was, you know, it was not that. It was the it was the things I think that that have resonated for people what it's really about mm-hmm. and why, as you know, why we're doing this is because the movie is being re released after thirteen years, right. which is quite unusual. And so I think it's, you know, what it's really about. It's really, that's really something.
3: Yeah, it resonates and it's continuing to find new audiences and younger audiences because of the heart, right? It's this beautiful story of what it means to pursue your passion and not give up no matter what in the face of all of these obstacles. And I think audience members, myself included, like fall in love with you guys because you're so earnest and because it's just about the doing of it. Like, yes, you have this dream, we're gonna be rock stars, but irrespective of outcomes or anything like that, like you're showing up every day, you're putting out albums, you're, you're doing shows, Absolutely. and you're getting by in order to just do the thing. And I think that that's, Super inspiring because all of us, no matter who we are, we all have a dream or something that we'd like to manifest in our life, and sure. some of us yeah, meet well, obstacles 99% and stop. Of, and
1: of life is being there, sure, yeah, we got we of course, but, but yeah. the
3: showing up, no matter sure, what, yeah. you know, well, you know is, can, is really what it's about. We can,
1: we can,
2: but we don't. We can proudly say that the band has really now become our shitty day job. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's right. true. Yeah, but you know, what, for what okay. you wish for, Rob. <laughs> No,
2: I couldn't be. I couldn't be any more happy. It, has,
1: it, it didn't have to be careful. He's very happy with where it is. Yeah, and I right. it, I I'm it, very. It I'm it still very, couldn't yeah. be yeah. enough. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: But uh, but you know, I knew. I've, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's, I always say that because you know, it's like it's, there's always room you, for improvement. You're always doing. You're doing what you love. Yeah. What's well, so for, you know, for, that's for not for
0: reasons of money, but for reasons because you you love it. I knew something special was happening. Like when we were first thinking about doing the movie, and I went to I took said to Lips, come to my uncle Marty's house in Forest Hill on Ava Road in, 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 in Toronto. And I said, look, I, I just have this instinct. I've got to make this film. And Lips broke down into tears. And I was like, why is he crying? Because he knew before anything happened what was going to happen. And I, yeah, was like, I, was,
1: I was really certain. Immediately. Immediately, he knew. Yeah, it was I, knew be I knew. I uh,
0: knew. Oh, where, where, where My where boat do you, th- just came in. Hello. Where do, you, where do you think that
3: comes from? What was that about? That certainty. Well, that what knowing? was
1: that about? Part of it is because, in, in the, the failures for no reason, I I felt all along that there had to be some kind of counter to it. That even though we ha- have all this bad luck and all this stuff, it's there's some reason or at, at the end of the day, this is going to turn around and I don't know why I just, I was completely convinced. And what I was also convinced of, it was going to be somebody that we met and was a fan from a young age, was going to grow up and get into a, a proper position. And that's when we're going to get our second chance. That's what I really, because we missed the first chance. The first chance mm-hmm. came, and we got involved with the wrong people, and at the at the worst time, at the worst time, 1983. Everything is starting to blossom for heavy metal, and now we fall out. And we don't do a record for four four years. Mm-hmm. You're done man, you're roasted. That kills, that killed all the momentum. It's like starting over again. And it, and starting over again with way less going for you because everything else has grown up so tall. How are you going to compare and how are you going to how are you going to contend now that everything and every everybody stole everything you did blind. That's right. To the to the point where everybody is doing it. So you're not going to come across as being the special thing anymore. You're done. It's done. It did its thing. You you what
2: did your, uh, there's a famous line in a movie Slash says it right?
1: Yeah, I mean, but the, but those things were the realities. So, but 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 the way that I looked at it is that okay, we, we missed our first opportunity. So what's going to happen? It's going to happen. Somebody where we laid the made a, a, a huge impression on it at a young age is going to grow up to to the point mm-hmm. and 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 get into a position of power. Whether it's going to be owning a record company, I thought it was going to be owning a record company or something. Was a yeah. company or something. That was always in my mind, but when I came back from that f- festival in in Italy, after talking to the Candlemass guys. I get an email from from Sasha, who, who like I said- to in years. I hadn't spoken for 20 years. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, the last time I spoke to him is 1985, and it's 2005. It's like, hello, like, but all
2: those where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but all those years, we were always wondering where Sasha went. So Oscar, from, from my, Oscars, my side, right?
0: what had happened was, and going back to the original story we were telling, was that I was into metal, and then 17, 18, 19, I got into Bowie, I got into the Stooges. I sure. got, You know, I kind of grew up a little bit, but always loved Anvil, and always always loved metal, but I just expanded as well. So I loved other things and I kind of went off on my journey and I found myself some years later in Hollywood and well, I, Well, before know,
3: that though, you were a drummer, you were the yes, original drummer in Bush. That is correct. Right? Gavin, Gavin. So you Rostale, had a moment.
0: Yeah. So Gavin Rossdale and I had gone to school together to two schools, Northbridge House and Westminster. And then, uh, yeah, I, he, I'd been the, the fa- a founding member of that band, which at that time was called Future Primitive still a good name. And uh, I played <laughs> on all, a lot of those songs and all the original material from the first Bush album, which was huge. Um, you know, I started off with them. I was the first real drummer to play those songs. And it was, you know, and and there was also other stuff going on in my personal life. For whatever reason, I kind of left that band. And I kind of then got my life sorted out and decided to I always wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. So I became a journalist and then I was like, well, actually I really wanna make movies. And then I found myself in UCLA film school and then I got lucky and I had a film made and anyway, so I had developed some something of a Hollywood career and had had a, just a big movie made. Um, and I was sort of in 2004 or five, I was kind of like, have had this moment. I remember. I was at. I, I you know. I had this beach house. You know, and I was sitting at this beach house, and I was like, I got into this movie, uh, b- movie business. Uh, I had I was sort of quote unquote successful, whatever that means. I was successful. Now mm-hmm. my agents were like, you have to go and meet Adam Sandler, and you have to do all this stuff, and you're going to be paid all this money. And, and I you was would,
3: like, they, when did when did The Terminal come
0: that, out? That was made in two thousand and four. Yeah, so I, right. had, I so had made a movie with Spielberg this, right. and Hanks, and yeah, mm-hmm. so I'd done that, and you know there was lots of opportunity, but the opportunity to me was to make was to make money. You know, and I was not happy. I was like, is this what it is? Like, this is not really... Because there were so many pressures to kind of go and do stuff that I didn't really feel. And I was having this really low moment when most people would have said, you know, you should be thrilled. And I was at a certain level, but I was also like, I got into this business to tell stories that were really personal and that meant something to me. And I was thinking about how the hell am I going to do that rather than being part of this giant corporate machine because my agents were saying... You know, you can get XXX amount of money to do this big studio thing mm-hmm. and work with such and such a star. And I just realized, my God, it's a business. And I just was like, I was a bit of a I was a bit like at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, Anvil came into my mind. And I was like, fuck, what happened to Anvil, man? Because I knew, you know, Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, all those bands who'd been influenced by Anvil and by, you know, that whole group of bands you know, had gone on to become mega bands, but what had happened to Anvil? So I went online and I discovered this Rinky Dink website, please don't be insulted if I call it Rinky Dink, but it was, you know- That's okay, it's, dink. it's a fan it site. It's a, had, it's, a it's a fan been, site. It's one of the first ones that had- It's a, a fan site. site. Since yeah. It was a fan Since 1996, it was a fan It's a fan site. It was early, right? Anyway, so I went on and I discovered this fan site and I discovered that Anvil had just played like at a pub in Quebec right just that weekend and then i discovered oh my god they've done like nine other albums that i don't know anyway so i wrote to the website and i remember writing and i, I wrote to to lips and i said uh dear lips i don't know if you remember me uh my anvil name was teabag this is teabag you know blah blah, blah 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 i would love to just speak to you and catch up so i just thought fuck they kept going but they're not famous. And they just mm-hmm. kept going. And within an hour, I got an email back from Lips saying, um, T-Bag, what? we thought you died or became a lawyer. Both of those things had happened. Yeah, those are I good had good had estimates. heroin overdose and I had gone to law school. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's r- r- roughly <laughs> accurate. So I had just like, you know, gone through some, some crazy times. And I said to Lips, I said, dude, i got to see you. I just had this feeling talking to him again. It was like 20 years was nothing. It was like two minutes. And I said, I'm going to fly you out to LA this weekend. Would you come if I bought you a ticket? And so I bought him a ticket and I'll never forget. I pulled up in my car at LAX and lips came out. And he, ha- he was wearing the same Scorpions t-shirt that he had been wearing 20 years before when I had last <laughs> seen him. And he was so happy. And I was like, dude, what's happening, man? And I was thinking, God, this has been really hard because all the bands like have gone on to be sure. mega and Anvil's like playing a pub in Quebec and I'm sure it's great, but you know, this is tough. And and, and Lips was like, no, man, we're doing the new album, and we're doing this, and we got this tour. And it was just like, at first, if I'm really honest, my thought was, fuck, man, this is like a bit sad. Like, you should just give this up. But you know, what happened was, as he started to explain, I was so lifted by his enthusiasm, and his passion, and his commitment. And it was just like, I need this person in my life right now. Here I am with all this quote unquote success. And I'm miserable. As most people when they get on the other side of the curtain discover, mm-hmm. it's like Well to me,
1: to me he missed he missed all these albums. He's he's saying we don't exist to, to you we didn't exist. Right. But to, but know, to me, I've
0: been here all along. Right. You, you and then he's yeah. like, you've got to listen to this and how about that? And then then so we started anyway, so <laughs> what happened was I was so like I just was so happy to see him. And we called Rob and I was just so I felt like that old feeling of my friends and I felt this incredible feeling like this this has come into my life for some reason right now I don't quite know what the reason is but this has come into my life and I felt so inspired and I um I took lips to meet you know the best man at my wedding my mentor you know Steve Zalian who had you know written Schindler's List mm-hmm. amongst many other things and I, I, I took Lips to, down to Malibu to meet Steve and Elizabeth. And I remember making coffee with, with Steve and watching Lips kind of explain Anvil to Elizabeth, who was somewhat bemused through the window. <laughs> Just like, what the fuck? And, and Steve said, who is this guy? And I said, this is my friend Lips. And he was in this band. And I told him the whole story. And Steve went online and started looking up lyrics and was like, they have a song called Show Me Your Tits. And I said, yes, they do. But it's really like funny and they have a sense of humor. anyway and i told him the story that they're still going and all the bands they and he said you know what there may be a there may be a film here and i said really he said just think about it so that hadn't even occurred to you that was not no, part of it was the like, motivation the, or anything the, at that point it was sort of like i had an instinct but in a in a strange way steve crystallized that instinct he was like okay, I'm, what I'm thinking is that, but he kind of brought it out because I was so enthusiastic and excited. And, and it was immediately, it was a story about just not giving up no matter what. Mm-hmm. When most rational sane people would have stopped long ago, the indomitable spirit of being committed to your art and being committed to your friend. Because remember, like Lips and Rob met when they were 13, 14 years old and they decided to rock together forever. And literally as we sit here today, it's 50 years later. They're 65, and they're still doing it. Right. Like, how unusual and unique was that? And that was already going on. Without making millions of dollars. Sure. We're not talking
1: about Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Doing it for the passion. Two guys who did it for for the—and ultimately, it's the same reasoning. Yeah. It is the same reasoning at heart. There's no different. They, 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 got, they got super successful doing it. I didn't get so successful doing it. But you still did but it. But I, I still did it. And I still do it for the same reason. I love music. That's why I do it. You take money as a souvenir. <laughs> that's about it. But yeah. generally, you're, you're doing it because you really love to do this. You're, you're driven to do it. I'm driven. My, my thing that drives me most is I've got to make. i got to put together a song that's that's going to satisfy this motherfucker. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> if 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 it can satisfy yeah. him, because the way that I, like part of uh, you know your growing up relationship, you know when I, if you understand what I mean, you have a a buddy that that goes out and buys everybody's record and is like is like the 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 the, the dictionary of of information. You know what I'm saying? That's who. That's who I, I'm working with. Is somebody who right. has knowledge of everything that everybody did. And so when when I go and bring something to the table, he goes, "I know exactly what we could do." I got examples from this song, this song, this song. And then before you know it, because of those arrangement ideas and with that kind of volume of. Knowledge, you've got songs in matters of minutes.
0: So, so I had, so I right. had this instinct so th- 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 about. Okay, that's got, what makes our writing work so I, well. I had this instinct about. I got to, I got to make this film, and I, I thought I got to test out this thing because I thought initially it was going to be like a dramatic film, like I would, yeah, have I mean, why and it would documentary? Be inspired. And and anyway, so finally I got to the place where like, like, what am I doing? And at the same time, actually, Ozzy Osbourne had called me to see if I would do his movie at Paramount. And I was thinking about that and I was like, why would you hire an actor to play Ozzy? He's, you can't beat that. Well, like, why would you do it? So I was thinking, hmm. And then basically, I called my friend Rebecca Yeldum, who's a fantastic producer. And Rebecca had produced The Motorcycle Diaries and The Kite Runner and all these incredible movies. She'd been a programmer at Sundance. And I called her up and I said, let me tell you a story. And so I took her to dinner and told her the story of Anvil, of this friendship with the guys who hadn't given up and they're still going or whatever. And she said, I hate heavy metal and I have to make this movie with you. It's absolutely great. And so Rebecca, who literally was not, you know, just came on board... And I went then to, and and Rebecca and and, and Lips and Rob and I all met in Toronto. She was there, I can't remember, with a movie. And we all met. And Rebecca said, I'm going to take you out to this restaurant. And, you know, you got emotional at the restaurant. And Rebecca said to you, you know, what's going on? And you said, I delivered fish to this restaurant for eight years. And this is the first time I've eaten here. Mm. And she, she just suddenly was like, okay, I understand what this film is this is a film about everyone who has to do what they got to do to do the thing they love. Mm -hmm. And she was just suddenly got really on board. And I was like, look, I'm never gonna sell this movie to anyone, I'm gonna have to finance it. And then there was the big decision, I got to get a crew together. And I went to this terrific cameraman called Chris Seuss, who's absolutely brilliant. And I hired Chris and I hired Matt Dennis for sound. And we put this this thing and I just flew to Eastern Europe because they were gonna do a tour. And I just thought this is now is the moment. And I didn't know what I was doing. I funded the whole thing myself. It was nearly destroyed me financially, if I'm being really honest. And multiple times we were told, just give this up, just give it up, mm-hmm. stop it. And then we made the film and I started editing. I had fantastic editors, Andrew Dickler and Jeff Renfro, who were absolutely brilliant. We edited on my dining room table. It was all self-funded and we had no idea what we were doing. And we all stood in a circle. I remember when we had the first cut of the movie and we were all in my house at Montcalm and we just kissed the DVD. <laughs> we would send it to Sundance hoping that something would happen and they, they let us
1: Yeah, in. well the, the the funniest thing was they're going, Okay, we gotta now let's see if we get into Sundance. I go, What do you mean get in? You knew well, go, what, you, I what said, do you mean this thing's going you all the you, way? <laughs> you yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you're, you're gonna take the D V D over to the to the to the to people there, and I go. Well, well, I thought, what they haven't seen it. Yeah, I thought, a whole I thing thought it, there. It's like the- I thought it's a
0: shoe in. What do I, you I, mean? I, 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 <laughs> I just to Lips there were like twenty five thousand films looking for like 20 <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Places. yeah, and then
1: I went, <laughs> oh really?
0: Oh, no. oh,
3: coming back for more. But first, what I remember about that time. I mean, first of all, I remember being at the barbecue that you had at your beach house when, when, when Lips, Lips first, came that first came to LA. And I remember meeting, I'm sure you don't remember that, but I vividly remember that. And I thought, what is going on here? Yeah, like, were, I didn't understand. All my friends there, were yeah. like, who is this guy? Well, because there's a very bougie situation. And then there's, you know, Lips is here. And I was like, you were like the person I didn't know. And you're like, this is my friend Lips. And you told the story. And I was like, well, that's interesting. We'll see what happens here. But I didn't even then, have the idea for the movie right, then. Yeah, I know. I was I just know. like,
0: this is my friend. And then Lips told me at some stuff, and we talked about Robo and the band and what had happened and all the different things, and it was like there was just this reconnection between all of us that was so surprising. Oh, we profound. had some, some such hilarious i had I had an
1: interview <laughs> that was sent to me from from
0: France, and <laughs> <laughs>
1: We start doing this
0: interview. So he says, "I'm bored with doing these interviews. Can you answer for me?" So I wrote all his answers for the French interview, and it was like I wrote the best. I I was
1: literally (laughs) in. We were literally in (laughs) tears from the like. There was we're giving a fictitious story about what happened. How did we? How did Anvil get together and all this stuff? Yeah. And and there was such
0: unbelievable stories about squirrely
1: working in a cemetery so they asked what oh, the no. former
0: member's doing and i said he's you know he's a grave digging assistant at a certain cemetery like <laughs> right you uh, I, I just we're just making it up as we go i was
3: like in tears from the, just but hilarious anyway, so, but i remember first before you go on sorry uh i remember when you returned from that trip to eastern europe and i know that was a very difficult trip very and there was difficult. like a lot of issues and you were freaking out because you're financing this whole thing and it's teetering on disaster. But all I remember about that was your just glee and enthusiasm at showing, you were like, you have to see this footage. And you were like, well, sit down and let me show you what's going on. So I had no doubt that this would ultimately become something because you were so, invested in it like you had so much passion poured into like making this but every time this
1: guy would start the fucking camera shit was going on man you just go
0: what okay let me give you an example (laughs) of what happened our first day of shooting in prague we shot and it was just madness
1: no we're not getting fucking paid where's the fucking club owner
0: you are too late
1: if i was too late i wouldn't have fucking played pal you're gonna fucking pay me i did my work i want to get paid
0: the promoter tried to pay the band in goulash.
1: That's nice. I guess he figures if he gives me a bit of goulash, I'll forget about it.
0: There was a physical fight. You should have told I us never, you weren't
1: paying, I paying never. us before we fucking played. And you we fucking, fucking piece played. of shit. You yeah. fucking pay me. You're going to fuck I'm us the work. road. I'm going to fucking kick your fucking I'm crazy. I'm crazy, man. Yeah, I am fucking crazy. I just worked my ass off and you won't fucking pay me. You're a
0: motherfucker. It was just it was just madness, right? So my, my cameraman, who is absolutely brilliant, Chris Seuss, at the end of the shoot said, okay, look, I need to talk to you, right? So I, and he was very serious. And I thought, fuck, man. He, I I just thought he'd got some news, like a family member was dying or something. I thought he was going to have to leave. So he says, let's go back to the hotel. We go in the elevator. I was like, do you want to talk? He said, just hold on. We go into his hotel room. He turns around. I'm standing in in the little living area of his uh, hotel suite in Prague. He he locks the door and he turns around to me and he says, I need to know, are they actors? (laughs) My own crew did not believe what was happening. They thought that I had hired it was a whole thing was a was hoax. A and I was doing like a Michelle Gondry style meta right. joke on the crew. And I was like, dude, no, this is Anvil. And he said, I don't believe you. I said, go online, man, look it up. And he looked up 25 years of history. And he was like, have you, like he could not believe that it was real. And that's when I knew we had something mm-hmm. because it was impossible. Still to this day, people think it's a mockumentary. Some people think that they don't believe it's a real film. Yeah, and they sure. like in Galway in Ireland, when we-, yeah. when we I've we, been we accused like, of being an, an actor. Yeah, mm-hmm. so these Irish girls Many came times. up to Rob Reiner and they were like, <laughs> dude, you're not Rob Reiner. That's the director of Spinal Tap. You're he Because you, yeah. you want to see my passport. So, and she so goes, he shows these no, passports. No, you, you, you Hollywood types can get anything printed. He, he, they did not believe him showing his passport. Yeah. These girls thought it was a prop. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. like, no, it's, it's real. <laughs> people still don't. But it's real. So I knew that was something. And then the second thing that happened was when we finally got the film together and we did get into Sundance, we screened it. And it was incredible. Like all these people showed up to support us. And I was like you know, I had literally mortgaged my house for this film. And I was like, if this doesn't work, it's like a disaster. But I was like, so pleased I'd done it anyway. And I was thinking to myself, as the movie was beginning, like, if it all goes horribly wrong, like, I still am proud of this film. Mm -hmm. I just don't care. And then people started laughing. And then the audience started to get involved. And then they got emotional. And... At the end of the film, there was such an incredible response. Standing ovations. It was a genuine response. You know, at film festivals, sometimes the air is, you know, everyone's a little bit high, but you could tell it was really extraordinary. And Anvil then went out afterwards to the, it was snowing in Sundance and they had this van and they were selling t-shirts and copies of the album This Mm -hmm. Is 13 and there was a line like almost everyone from the theater which was like 700 people was trying to buy stuff, it was madness and I remember there was this 78 year old woman who was in line and who came back with three This Is 13 CDs and a t-shirt and I was like, what does... The, like, it was like Angela Lansbury. Well, like, right. what is she doing? <laughs> and I stopped her. I said, Madam, I hope you don't mind. I'm just asking, like, who are you? And she, she, was, a, she was a history teacher at a high school uh, in Park City, retired. You know, she was basically a high school teacher. And, and she, I said, well, why did you buy three of these records? And she held them up and she said, I, I will never listen to these, but I just want to help. Mm. And I knew then that this film had the potential to reach people. Way beyond metal, beyond music. And and it was about the human spirit. And it contained... And again, when you're making a film, you have no idea what you're doing. You just hope that something happens. And in this case, I just hoped. And what we discovered from the film was that it was about not giving up. You know, it was about friendship. It was about family. It was about not giving up on a dream. And like, what could be more universal than that? Sure. And I think that's why here we are 13 years later releasing the film again. It's because of those themes, you know?
3: And it's and also this, becomes timeless. Yeah. yeah, it's this meta story because the film is, crazy successful and that breathes life into your career and then you get this you know new third act or second act depending on how you look at it where suddenly my ship really came in and yeah. it
1: couldn't have come in at a better time and i mean life life has got a lot of different things that you realize when everybody else is 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 closing down their shop i just opened up right which is you, a great thing because preparing when you're closing for this down, this your you're, everybody's closing yeah. down their shop because they're burnt out and they have no heart left to do it, and they're they're quitting. And it's like I find that. How do you, if you're a real artist, you should be here till you're till you till you're pushing up daisies. Mm, and that's, that's the right. end and of it. And we had so mm. many
0: moments, like, ironically, you know, someone said that, you know, in one, in one sense, this film is a, is a portrait of failure. But the irony being that it led to the band's incredible sure. success to this day. And I remember so many moments, but one of them was ACDC asked Anvil to open for them at Giant Stadium. Yeah, I and I remember that. standing on the side of the stage and me and Lips were like, I was just, I got so... You know, it was really emotional, man, because you had 50,000 people screaming for Anvil. And this was this little movie that we all kind of made in my kitchen and edited on my dining room table. <laughs> and it was just like overwhelming. And that has continued even in the years that it, the films, you know, in the last 13 years and just so many unexpected cra- crazy uh, things. So the, the,
3: the movie opens with all these luminaries and legends like Slash and Scott Ian and- And Lars, yeah. Yeah, Lars Ulrich talking about how influential uh, Anvil was and how much they love the band. And it sort of smash cuts to, you know, you delivering food to schools. And you get this portrait of, you know, current day Anvil and what your lives are like. So while these other bands who were influenced and, and kind of behind you leapfrog you, become crazy successful, you guys are still back in Toronto kind of doing your thing. How did you not become like bitter or resentful, or were there moments of that? Like, I just see you guys as as just very grounded and lips. I mean, you're you're this person who has this huge capacity no, well, the, for okay, positivity. Well, I, I, it depends you know on how
1: you want
2: to yeah, look
3: exactly, at life. Ex- yeah, exactly. It's a real big, big thing. If,
1: if, <laughs> if you measure everything, oh, I got to be a millionaire to be con- considered s- successful, you're an idiot. It's like owning a hardware store. I want to be Home Depot. You don't have to be Home Depot. You can be the small hardware store on, on, on Main Street and do just fine and make a living and be known to everybody in the town just the same way as Home Depot. You sure. know, you're not making the millions that Home Depot is. Right. You don't have a place that that can hold it. it, it doesn't, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because mm-hmm. you're doing what you you have passion. You love being that small shop. And that's exactly what Anvil is. It's not a, a, a story about, about a band that wasn't su- successful. You don't call a band who's done 12 albums at that point unsuccessful. They got 12 albums out. Being unsuccessful would be something, okay, they did an album and they don't exist anymore for 20, 30 years. No, we, we didn't. An album every couple of years, generally, generally speaking, for our entire you
0: have like f- for eighteen ent- albums for- now. Yeah, so Ni- it's like 19. that's not 19. that's not unsuccessful. Yeah. Coming at all. And also And also, the re-release of the film is is coordinated. I is think, is, with is the yet, yet more yeah.
1: success. Uh, So, but instead of getting having a one hit album in in 1980, and then and then being retired in 1982, and being here at 65 with nothing to do and all my money's gone, I've got a I'm having the time of my life, at a time when 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 I. When I can't do physical labor, everything worked out perfectly as far as I'm concerned for my life. Mm-hmm. When I had the physicality and the the uh, abilities to go do physical labor, it kept me in top top physical condition. Here I am at 65.
0: I'm not I'm not 300 pounds. I still weigh 150 pounds. Whatever. It's and all- the thing and the thing yeah. about that tour that you see in the film is like this is the attitude. Like they would go out and play to someone in a rocking chair. They played the same show they played at Giant stadium to 50,000 people. They live it. They do it. And I just and found that, that so like, yeah. well, that's what like, it is. Like, wow. like, why why are you doing, doing this? You have to ask yourself
1: why you're doing it. You're doing it because it's fulfilling your your soul. That's what you're driven to do. That's what what I do. I I am not driven. I got a top s- single hit. I'm not interested never was. I wanted to be the band that that existed on a, on a, 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 a underground level for for Forty years, and then on their their fiftieth year, when they're just about finished, they put out a top top ten hit album, and and it, it sells like like crazy. Now you retire
0: uh-huh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at seventy five yeah. years old, like but proper. It's like, I'll
0: give you an example. As as you mentioned, all the luminaries like Lars Ulrich, you know, who of course knew the band, who I think we met back way 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 back in the day, you know. Lars called me after he said, you know, we Metallica watched Anvil on our jet, drinking champagne in tears, because that could have been us. And there was just something so, like you were talking about sliding doors earlier. Right. You Well, Steve Steve Harris Harris said the the same thing too. And
1: said that exactly. In a blink, I could be you, you could be me. Because to a great degree, uh, rock and roll is, really, to a great degree, 99% chance in being at the, like Lemmy said. Yeah, yeah there's, there's luck,
3: right there's time. timing, it is, it is there's luck luck signing things. the wrong luck. contract, luck. there's yeah, having luck. the wrong manager it at it the luck. wrong time, all that kind of stuff. Dave Grohl said that to us, You make
2: your own luck, but you gotta connect with it. In
3: certain respects, you can make the argument that you guys are way ahead of your time because it was always just about connecting with your audience directly, right? And just putting out these albums for the people that love you. And now we're finally, in this economy where artists, musicians can do that. They can sidestep these, gatekeepers and these record companies. I mean, for a long time during the formative years when all these bands were getting huge, it was the record company making a decision. This is the band we're gonna invest in. They're in cahoots with the radio stations. This and is what gets played. The,
1: the, the, this is the producer, and we're gonna buy them songs. We're gonna have right, musicians the play their
3: parts because they
1: can't play them well yeah, the enough. The monkeys. We're gonna get makeup <laughs> right. artists so that yeah. they don't look so ugly. Sure. Everything that they do that they do and did and probably still continue to do and groom, groom pop.
3: Pop, right. Popular, popular. But you remained uh, true. You have your loyal fan base. You've always served them, and, and, and you, you have know, that can direct I say connection. Another, can I say? And you're fulfilled in doing that. Yes, that's but, right. know, but it's exactly. actually
2: over the last since the movie, it's been expanding. Sure, that's actually part of a great reality. Yeah, it's it's not. It's we always have new
0: people. All and the when, time. by the way, when we're all making the time. movie, we had no idea what was going to happen at all. We, like I remember Robbo during the filming. There was yeah. some crazy stuff. That's he true. pulled me aside. And he said you better edit this right, because this could be really bad. <laughs> were, it was terrible. And I was like, dude, you got to trust me, man. I love you guys. I'm your fan. I want all of this to work for the band. Mm-hmm. And I was very, and I said to them when I showed them the film for the first time, I said, if there's anything you really hate or anything that you don't feel is authentic or true, I will take it out. I'm not in the business of trying to upset my friends. I want all of this struggle to be shown so that people will understand what you guys have been through to be able to do this. I'm
1: fucking sick of it. I can't fucking deal with it. You know, it, we're gonna come apart at the seams. I, I don't know it, what's gonna happen. I'm fucking, I am so fucking fed up. Like we gotta get a drummer. I mean, I don't know what to say. I'm. A, he's fired. I mean, what can I say?
3: Yeah, and I, I think your strength as a as a writer and a filmmaker, Sasha, is understanding that emotional piece and knowing how to tap into the heart center of what the story is really about. So come on, man! The guy
1: the guy films you know, us in the middle of a, a but heated, b- brutal f- argument. You fucking listen to me, you fucking asshole! Look, you smile. Guys. You're smiling at a fucking loser. That, you're a fucking loser. That at all? That's what there? you are. He's got a big smile on his face. I go, what the? But fuck at that point, he goes,
3: I waited to he's gonna make moment. sure that the audience is it's in love it's gold with from heaven you know what I mean cause, <laughs> cause here's the thing like and you said it earlier like it's not about like when Rebecca said like I don't like metal but I need to tell this story it's like you don't have to care about metal at all. And I, you know, I think getting people past that, like getting them to understand that, which perhaps is a barrier to getting people to see the movie, like, it's not really about that. It's about this true. lifelong right. friendship and what these guys you know, have endured over these many years and this passion that they've shared to pursue this thing that they love no matter what.
1: First thing I wanna say is I'm sorry. I'm sorry, do you understand that? I'm under a hell of a lot of stress. Okay? If I lose my temper, if anybody knows, you know. I'm tired
2: of being the fall guy. I understand. But I'm tired of it, man. Sorry.
1: You're my fucking brother, man. Who else can I fucking cry on their shoulder and fucking say shit to? Yeah. Who else? Yeah. Who's the closest person I got in the world? I'm not. Think about that
0: but you know what's interesting is is as you say it's right it started off as a kind of metal rock thing but in terms of music it's now expanded to country to rap like I know that there are rappers who have Anvil on their tour bus as opposed to right. you know other films it's just gone through whole of music and then it's gone a little bit through sport and then it's gone a little bit corporate like I know that the movie was shown at a corporate retreat for a massive fortune 500 company you know just yeah, in terms no, it's of it's like, just it's short in schools It's I know like we've
1: done we've done Q and A's at, at universities in yeah, yeah, the stuff. schools. We did one in
0: Ireland. Yeah.
1: yeah, A big
2: university. It's just
0: be, and, and you could never have imagined. And what, what's beautiful about it is that it continues to keep going. Right. I'm like out of the blue. And I know unexpectedly, you know, and Lips and Rob have received, you know, hundreds of emails over the years from people who are really suffering. And, you know, in some cases terminally ill. Yeah. this is like what I want to
3: know about, like, cause there is a whole like inspirational kind of, you know, self-help piece to this in that people are finding inspiration through your story and are seeking you out for, you know, a little piece of that. Yeah, yeah, it's been going, it's been going on. They they thank you, they thank
2: us a lot, right?
1: Yeah, for some reason it gives, people hope when they watch that like because we're so hopeless or give people hope <laughs> no. i don't know i mean jimmy page said you give us all hope well it's okay.
0: okay it's honest because this is the truth yeah this is the truth and i think that was the thing because of our relationship that goes back for 50, 40 years you know actually you know when the film comes out it'll be 40 years that since we first met you know there's something pure and they these guys had to trust me and I had to tell them listen I am going to have to show stuff that's going to be funny first of all you guys are fucking funny right and second of all I'm going to take the audience on a journey and if I encourage the audience to kind of laugh at the anvil stuff which is funny trust me it will turn and by the end the people that they thought were funny in 15 minutes in are gonna be, hopefully if it works, really moved by Mm -hmm. and connect with in an unexpected way. And that's everything as you point to, a theme of my work is like, people who are on the outskirts or, you know, different, whether it's Hervé Villachez or, you know, Alfred Hitchcock or Tom Hanks stuck in an airport. You know, these are all people that are not mainstream society and bringing you into their emotional world and making you realize that we are all basically the same. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter whether you wear a bullet belt and a, you know, and a beanie and what kind of music you're playing. You know, we're all human beings and that's what I think Was the intention of the film, and I think what's really good is that it's reached, it's reached people in a human way. So it started off in a music thing, and now it's just gone to people. Right, and
1: yeah, Yeah, the the the, the, some of the most remarkable stuff for me is is talking to cancer patients and people who who have lost, are about to lose everything, Mm -hmm. and it, it, it 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 actually. Gave gives me an appreciation for how how lucky I am in so many ways. It's actually, I, I don't realize what I've done for somebody else, but I know what they're doing for me. It's making me feel, uh, it, it was remarkable um, to the point where uh, I've been actually involved in doing um, Zoom sessions with people who are terminally ill Um and with other other musicians that are famous, and fulfilling their their dream of meeting somebody that's famous. Oh, that's cool. And although it it seems very frivolous and nothing to me, to just sit here and go, hey, it's nice to meet you, man. I I I'm really sorry to hear about your 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 sickness, but you know what? Every minute counts. So let's have a good time right now, and you can let's just talk about. All kinds of things, and we—you don't necessarily talk about about Anvil's music or anything like that. You end up talking about about just life in general, about how much they love their children, and how you know th- sure. all di- different aspects of, of of other people's lives, and you're going, "Wow, look at that!" And I'm thinking, "Look, you'd never think that in a million years that somebody who." Who, who plays a guitar with a vibrator means that much to somebody who's dying? It's like yeah.
3: what? But but but, but that's but, what's really important, and that's what matters in life, right? So I think there's you know to your point of of taking audiences on a journey and and you know having them really connect. I think we're all in search of 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 finding something that's real. And there's an earnestness with the way that you guys live your
0: lives and conduct yourselves. And can just this say,
3: unbridled like authenticity. Can like, I also say this...
0: a kindness? Because yeah, here's and, the thing, and that's, I was if getting they had to that, not been sweet right. to me, right, I mean, what I, the it first thing comes I noticed, around because of that experience. Around. What I noticed, the first thing, as I said, I noticed about Anvil was they spoke to me, their fan, in exactly the same way that they spoke to Steve Harris of Iron Maiden or whoever it was, right? There was no difference for them. They were kind. I'm not the first fan, by the way, that Anvil has invited on the road. A lot of their roadies are fans who get to get up close and personal. with it. So their attitude, their whole attitude towards people and fans, you know, had they been... You know, i got into that changing room at the Marquee Club in September, 1982. And they were like, I'm busy talking to the guy from Iron Maiden. You know, none yeah, of this would have happened. It, happen. it was who they were. And there's
3: something very instructive about that. Yeah. You know, in terms of like how you live your life and how you treat other people.
1: Yeah, well, we don't to, to us, it was
3: um, just more remarkable. Know, I don't know. More remarkable are, right? that, I mean, this,
1: that, 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 that when, when he walked into the change, it was much more remarkable in the sense that he knew the music so inside out and he wasn't from the same country. And this was our first time overseas. This this is the first time we've actually uh, met a fan who has been introduced and knows us by our music from a far away. He didn't come see us yeah. at the Gasworks. He didn't come see us at the at the Young Station. He knows nothing of what we've done to get where we are, but he knows our music thoroughly and it was it was an amazement look at how powerful music is that we've 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 inspired this kid who lives here in england mm-hmm. this was, is what it we, was, we it
0: was w- bec- w- this is what we hoped. it was because of their music that that's a movie it's because of the music i connected in with how <laughs> extraordinary they were and are and it, it's astonishing that here we are like 40 years later discussing <laughs> this i can't and i can't believe that you know we're very fortunate that So the re-release, I'll just explain a little bit of how how this happened.
3: Yeah, well, let's preface that by saying the movie goes on to touch millions of people all over the world. It's since been um, placed on all of these, you know, best rock documentaries of all time lists from Newsweek to The Guardian to, uh, you know, NME, like all of these places have placed Anvil, The Story of Anvil among the top three, five, 10, rock documentaries of all time. I
0: mean, and we look at these lists because we got the Newsweek list recently and you're like, you're on a list with like, you know, Woodstock and Gimme Shelter and, you know, and the Bob, No Way Home, the Bob Dylan movie and all these incredible films and Amy, which I love, you know, and all, and we're in, and it's like hard to believe, like, like what? This is our little movie. But, and, and I've, we've encountered all of us over the years, so many fans and, and, and other filmmakers who just, you can't believe that they've even seen the film. You're so sort of
1: touched. Well, the, the thing you is, know? the thing is about it is the access, and it really is about the access of the, of the director to the subjects of the documentary. He had 100% access. You don't usually get that. And trust. And trust. trust. You're yeah. they just they're not going to get it. Who's Who the hell is going to, you know, have their basically hands around each other's throat and let, your, let yourself get filmed? Mm-hmm. During the whole that whole thing, when I was saying that that he's saying I waited th- two three years for this, we didn't have it, it, it's very very uncommon for us to get like that. We got like that through the the pressures and stress of being in the studio and
0: everything that was going yeah, on. we working,
2: working with a crazy producer.
0: Uh, uh, everything w- was culminated it and created it. And it was also that the, the band was really on the edge. Like it was either make or break, like this was going to happen or not. The whole band was the and obviously when there's a movie. And Everything
1: that. he's he's on the edge of. And I'm uh, am I
0: going to make it with with this? I'm on the
1: the edge with. Uh, I'm I've spent everything we've got in the bank. I've lent money from my sister. It, just an endless list of. Oh my God! If this goes sour, it it's we're it, 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 done. It, and it, and it <laughs> continued
0: because when we <laughs> right. had this incredible reaction at Sundance, it was in 2008, and the the documentary market was the absolute. It was a disaster. It was the financial crisis, and you know I was like facing love people love i remember one major distributor came to see the movie came out in tears he said i absolutely love your movie i just can't sell it it's just too you know it's just too weird to sell mainstream anyway so i remember being on the phone with my agent and 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 manager and they were like look you've been offered this dvd deal with this company very good company you'll get some of the money back and you should just take the deal everyone's loves this movie you know and i just thought about it overnight and i was like fuck it no (laughs) i'm fucking releasing this movie into theaters and i called up lips and rob and i said we're not fucking giving it away to some dvd company it'll disappear this movie is too important because every place that we'd shown it had had I just trusted mm-hmm. the audience. And so I took a mortgage <laughs> to, take the, to take the movie out and take it into theaters. And we got an amazing guy called Richard Maramowitz in New York. And we got an amazing guy called Scott Feinstein and Cynthia Swartz. And I paid for all that because I knew this movie needed to get out there. And it was like, I was, I was already done, <laughs> but I was like, I'm done. Fuck it, I'm going. And I remember it was just, that.
3: I mean, that was such a ballsy... Thing to do. I had no at choice. That time. It's like it was if you're done. It was Pre Netflix and all the hysteria around documentaries. Absolutely. And I remember, like, you trying to figure out what you were gonna do. And I am like, the end double t- down. I mean, how much of that is a hat tip to kind of the inspirational influence of you guys? Right? Like, you're like. That that would have been yeah. an obvious choice That's for you,
0: right? Abso- absolutely, absolutely. Always invest in uh, it, it's yourself. It's
1: never, it's never, it's never a question of whether it's obvious. It's like there's no other option. <laughs> like it's yeah, not yeah. You, you, you. You're doing something, and it's like I've got to go through with it. I mean, I would say the whole of my life, you know, life. I don't have to do an album and go, OK, well, I'm going to bail because I don't think the song is working
0: out. Yeah, right. No, I'm going to finish it and I got to get this job yeah. done, man. And I had I was in this exactly the same position. I think what you pointed out is absolutely right. I was like, what would Anvil do? They would fucking double down and they'd, they'd go for it. So I got this money and we hired Richard and Scott and we took it out. And it was just astonishing what happened. Like the week that we were released, they were on CNN. Good morning. Well, we we, on- we did we, what we did. We had
1: we had we had this whole th- vision of how this was going to work, uh-huh. and we got every everything that we needed you know, everything, every step of the way, we would discuss it and then we'd make a decision. We would do this, do that. We got this guy, Josh, who could book all the theaters, book the band into the theaters. So we did the movie and then the band.
0: It's like a road show. And we did it as an anvil experience. experience. Mm -hmm. And it happened at the LA. And
1: And that's how we released the movie through America. So people are going, so, so Fuck, they watch the movie and all of a sudden the next thing they know, they got me standing beside them in we the aisle. V. were Flying
0: V. With <laughs> my, playing the March of the Crabs. Are you, what are you kidding me? And, and the way it all came to life was it happened at the LA Film Festival we got in. We actually ended up, I think, winning the Audience Award at LA. Ford Amphitheater, the movie was... Shown on a giant screen, you were there. I was there, and it was fifteen hundred people. Every band from like I can't remember, like Weezer to whoever. It was just everyone was there. The movie played like Gangbusters. It was the summer, and then at the end of the movie, people were freaking out. Suddenly, a spotlight, and you saw Lips on a Roman column, sixty feet in the air, with his flying V, and people went nuts because here's the audience able to make this a happy ending for the band, and they've just been through with them through this madness, and. And that was how we took the movie out. We did it in Japan and it was mental in Japan. Oh, we got yeah. chased in Japan. Oh. We did. I mean, it was bonk and we did it all over the world. We did it in London. And um, I you know, there's two people I really want to mention. Yeah, Shepherd's Bush one Bush one of great. them is uh, Shepherds Bush Empire, two yeah. shows. Mm-hmm. It was like crazy. Scott Ian from Anthrax came out to support, you know, the really sweet thing. And I just have to give a nice compliment to someone is Keanu Reeves, who I knew. And I said, dude, we've got the London Film Festival And like, is there any way that you could come and help? And he said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, if you could just come and maybe intro the film. I just thought bad about asking. And you know what? He he flew himself from LA to London and he introduced the film Aww. and he did the press line. And because people knew he was coming, 3,000 girls showed up. Wow! And we had the Woody Allen premiere was blown out of the water. Right, that's <laughs> We suddenly, night, and yeah. we had, and so and there were people like that our angels. So cool. And the other angel who I think is a long-term and super important angel was a guy called Rick Krim. And Rick Krim was um, the head of talent at VH1 at the time. Very, one of the original MTV executives. And VH1 had passed on Anvil, which which was, you know, upsetting. Anyway, cut a long story short, two VH1 executives were on holiday with their wives in Germany. And they were somewhere in Munich or whatever. And someone noticed, oh, there's a film festival downstairs. This was like a rinky-dink film festival with like 11 people at it. And they were drunk and they thought, oh, let's go down. And Anvil was showing because our policy was we're just going to send this everywhere we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Something, we were hoping that something would happen. So these two vacationing VH1 executives drunkenly go to some nothing film festival, come back to New York and say to Rick Krim, you've got to see this movie. He sees the movie and that begins everything going. Mm-hmm. And VH1 mm-hmm. came in and MTV and you know, Van Toffler. Was- well, the, fun-
1: the, the funniest thing is, of course, he had told me a, a few months before this that VH1 mm-hmm. had passed. And we yeah. all of a sudden we get, Rob gets an email from, Somebody at VH1, yeah. you know, I want a T-shirt, and can you please tell me what I have to do to a uh, yeah,
0: what VH1 has movie. to do yeah. to acquire, so acquire the, the movie? So, to their website, yeah. gets a T-shirt, and said, "I want this movie." Yeah. They call me and say, "VH1 is calling." I'm like, "But they passed." Anyway, what I didn't know was that the person who passed had been fired mm. for passing on the movie, <laughs> right. and that that began. And then and then VH1 came in and they supported the release, and they supported. You know, we even did a best picture campaign.
3: Right, I know. For
0: Anvil Wish, we but had you a did,
3: you Did you win the Independent Spirit Award? Yes, we
0: won the Independent Spirit right. Award. And, we and then won, another kind of like angel in this <laughs> is,
3: uh, you're still wearing that from yeah. that? Wow. From that night. Oh my God. That's the Anvil commitment. Yeah. I still wear the same ago. pants from that night. Um, <laughs> and Dave Grohl gave that amazing speech. <laughs> Dave Grohl was, extru- I mean, he was amazing. Actually, I mean, was that, in- interestingly, yeah, that Dave we're Grohl introduces
2: that. our
1: new album. Our new album has a song called uh, Take a Lesson. And that's the name of the song. It's a quote from Dave Grohl. And uh, what happened was, we finished we finished all the recording and the guys mixing and what whatnot. I walk into the. The, into the fucking control room, and he goes, "Here's listen. Here's the here's the opening cut for the album." And I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, and he starts the thing up, and it's Dave doing the introduction At the Spirit Award. from the Spirit mm. Award saying, "This is a lesson in perseverance. This is a lesson in from the heart, from lesson A lesson from the heart. listen. I mean, it's a a pleasure, and, and, they, and I've and been in Anvil the right played. place twice in my life, and this this time, this time, I get to introduce my, a great rock and roll band, and he introduces Anvil, and that's That's how the beginning of her album starts. And the song's called Take a Lesson. I mean, Grohl was incredible. Because
2: the lyrics actually really talk with the message he was saying.
1: Yeah, right. uh, it all it came organically. We didn't plan it. So, yeah, we uh, didn't plan it, and it ended up like that. So I mean, I mean, I mean. So, remarkable. so the
0: spirit Awards were incredible. Dave Grohl was incredible. And wh- when will do that performance, you kind of cut away to a very bemused looking Robert Duvall who doesn't really understand what's happening. It <laughs> <laughs> was really like yeah, <laughs> what about Duvall. Elton John doing Elton this? Elton John was <laughs> <doing this>. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> and,
2: and um, we, we had a Christopher
0: good, Plummer was there too. That's right. We had a very good we had a very good run with the film. It was out there. Like I. <laughs> There's one quite funny story was we went to the, the Emmys at the Carnegie Hall in, you know, the arts and whatever, uh, docs Emmys, whatever. And, you know, me and Rebecca were seated like right up on the fifth floor. So, we were like, okay, we're definitely not winning anything. And so, anyway, cut a long story short, Rebecca says to me, just get in, just go down there in case something happens, right? So, I go into the elevator to go down to the floor where they're giving out the awards and I got stuck in the lift. <laughs> For about an hour, oh and then God. and then I came out to discover that Anvil had won the Emmy, oh, and I was stuck thing. in an elevator. And so then I went backstage, and I said, "I made a movie about a band that got <laughs> that got lost and got st- I got stuck in an elevator, and so Lester Holt had me come out, and they gave me the Emmy. But <laughs> it was like typically Anvil. Like right. an amazing thing of happened. Of course it happened. But of course way. we weren't there because yeah. I was I was dealing with a lift engineer at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> But here's the
3: thing. Yeah. <laughs> this movie came out 13 years ago. Like why are we sitting here talking about I'll it today? So walk me up I'll to I'll walk you through
0: what happened. Right. Okay. So to, to to my godson is a, is a kid called Rio Hanson. It's Rebecca Rebecca Yeldum who produced the film as his son. And R- Rio, you know, I was in England and he said you know I'd really like to see Anvil and I said I have a print. I got it out of storage. Um and so Rio brought his friends to see the movie. This is this past summer in London. No, no, here. Oh, here. In LA, I was here briefly and I got the print out, and we showed the film and all of his friends went nuts. And I was like, they're like 17, 18 years old. So Rick Crimm and I and Rebecca started to do these screenings and we started to just invite people to see the film. And the response from young people was just like... We ha- why haven't we heard of this film? So it was just really unbelievable because, and a lot of it was about we've just been through two years of COVID. It's been an absolute nightmare. People have really, you know, people have lost people. I mean, I have in my family. Yeah, uh, uh, so mm-hmm. It's it's been a it's been a really horrible time, and suddenly here's a movie with the message of hope about enduring almost absolutely impossible situations and somehow not giving up, right? And so for whatever reason, that theme began to land with a totally new audience and then we had this fantastic british singer called young blood come and he he came and he brought his and he's 23 year old and you know never heard of anvil and you know a a very big artist now in the uk and all these people just started coming all young people and then all the old fans some of those people came back and they were like this movie is i'm feeling this now it was i really enjoyed it then Mm -hmm. i'm really feeling it now and out of these screenings we did about eight that rick and i principally put together two distributors emerged. They're a friend of a friend. Oh, I went to see this Anvil. Anyway, so we had two separate distributors approach us to re-release the film for the 13th anniversary, 13 years later. And we decided to go with this incredible company called Utopia, who's kind of, I guess, like the new A24. This guy, Robert Schwartzman, who himself was the band Rooney Mm -hmm. and really understood it. And he was like, look, there is a... And he was a couple of the screenings. And he's like, the response I'm seeing from the kids is this is a film that needs to get out there again, and we wanna re-release it. And so that's how it all happened, but it began with it's my unbelievable. godson. unbelievable.
3: I mean, that never happens. It never
0: happens. 13 years
3: later. 13 Why years do you think later. now? Like, what do you think it is? Because 13 is a lucky number. I know, well, like, this is 13. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's this is the record. Could this have is 13. More perfect. <laughs> but what do you think is happening Like, what is it, what's going on in the culture right now that you think is lending itself to this interest and enthusiasm? I I really
0: don't know. I think that people are so bored of plastic fake kind of Instagram kind of phoniness that I think there's a sense of, you know, this is something completely authentic and real with real history. And there's a purity to what Anvil do. And there's also a purity and honesty to the film. And I think whenever it's, and honesty people gravitate towards that no matter what time mm. you're in i think that for me what happened was the covid thing you know it just made people really like this is fragile life is super fragile and you know don't take it for granted that everything's going to be great and you can go to the store and buy what you want and you know and it's you know what no actually. Mm -hmm. And I think that people got really appropriately scared. The world shut down and people started thinking about what was important. And I think this film speaks to what really is important, which is how you treat other people. Are you doing something you love? Are you doing the thing you love for the right reason? Are you driven by money and external things? And, you know, or are you just committed to being an alive and present and passionate creative human being you know and and this movie is kind of is about those things and I think that's the reason but It really all started with my godson making a request He said I'd like to see the movie that you and mummy his mum Rebecca made Because I saw it when I was a kid or whatever and I really want to see it mm-hmm. And so Rio was the reason and again an, a personal reason It's my godson saying I want to see this film that you and mum made. Mm. And and that's always been the way with Anvil. You know, it's, it's a really emotional because it's truthful. And I think we're all so, I, I like, I mean, the fact that this movie is being re-released 13 years later, it's I It's mean, bananas. It's bananas. I mean, what yeah. movies get, what documentaries get re-released? Yeah. And it yeah, was like- it's crazy. It Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I don't yeah, like, like, know. I'm, I'm really still sure trying to get, get around I mean, it. it's all yeah. surreal, right? Like yeah. what,
3: is, what has been the most surreal aspect of this whole adventure for you guys?
2: Hmm. Surreal,
3: yeah. Just like oh. sort of like wow, this guy comes in, he makes this movie. I mean, in certain ways, your lives have changed. In certain ways, you guys are doing it the way you always have done it. But suddenly, yeah. are well, musically, we, all these we, we, interesting we don't.
2: people. We, we stick to our guns, you know. Like you know. So we're not going to change. I, I'm really hoping. That, I, think, that
1: I, I think there's. We're just going to stick something. to our
2: guns with the music. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. like I want critics to find something new to say about us. I'm tired of them saying, oh, well, there's nothing new here. Well, of course not. Find something else to say. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is that to these guys, and we were talking about this before we came to do your podcast, that it's their life. It's normal. Like, but I said, but you understand that the message. Like most people, like how many teenage kids at 13, 14 make a pact to rock together forever and 50 years later are still doing it? Nobody. How many? No one. And, but to well, them it's too normal. Bad. Yeah. That's
1: actually too bad. Because some well, of the I stuff when I, you're I, young, but the you commitment actually, to each because other. of your innocence, you don't see all the obstacles. Yeah. But you know, I'm not going to
2: quit on myself. Yeah. What for? Like I can't, I can't cope with that notion.
1: Yeah, why didn't you quit? Hey, you quit what you hate. Right, not what you love. Not what you love. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I'm a painter. I'm sense. a painter. I paint, you know, and I paint for myself. You know, people come criticize. Oh, you should sell your shit. It's awesome. You know, people want to buy it, you know? You're a selfish fucking asshole, you know? No, fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's for me. It's my right. passion. It's my hobby. I enjoy it. It's relaxing. It keeps me fucking at at peace, you hear me? That's well, why this, I do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sure, mean, I can make money and and this and that, you know. But you know, I, that's not what I want to do. There's this perverted people criticize idea you for that shit.
3: That if you're not selling it or you're not selling this many of whatever it is, that you know you get labeled a success or a lack of success. When yeah. in truth, you guys are this example of like the purity of the whole thing. You well, do it for actually, the love, the re- whether it's the pain and, on, and honesty.
1: Yet. No, the real truth. The real truth about what art is. It's not the guy who makes the most money from his art or sells the most paintings or the guy who sells most records or the guy who has the biggest selling hit single. It's about the guy who wrote the most songs. The guy who was able yeah. to Pro- express Pro- himself hundreds of times over, yeah. that is pure prolific output. success.
3: Yeah, well, it's also about the honesty that you bring to that Well, pursuit, it's the same right? thing.
1: What's the best painter? The guy who could fill
0: that canvas thousands of times. Like, for example, I mean, one example, because when we made the film, I was living on right opposite the artist, David Hockney. And, you know, that guy, because he was my neighbor, I got to know him a little bit. He was never stopping painting. I mean, he was constantly right. even when he had people over for tea, he would be on the iPad like doing stuff like constantly. And there is something to what Lips is saying about just doing the thing for its own sake and not thinking about what it means or mm-hmm. what success, you know, and obviously it's the one, guy you know? who does I the most is the winner. The That's the guy, the guy yeah. who's expressed himself the most.
1: That's the winning quality. Yeah. It's the it's the and the ability and the and the, and the the imagination it's to the, do that. It's the it makes you the winner not yeah. not yeah. what you
3: get is after doing shining, it it's, it's doing it to begin with it that is is the thing that's the most important a shining sort of success story in the vein of the war of art right like it is i mean you guys you have resistance in your life but you're always creating like i don't get the sense that you have writer's block Right? No, I don't yeah, even know what that are, means. Yeah, and when I say are, on that subject, you know, I can tell you no, that Never even I, know that I feel means. really
0: fortunate because the new a- Anvil album, for the first time, Anvil has written a song about me on their 19th record.
1: And it's got no lyrics.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> just a musical. <laughs> and I'm so honored. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's,
2: but it's that's fucking gonna be a big song.
0: I'm excited. You, you watch. It's cool. There's, there's two different, there's my original Anvil name, Teabag, bag And then there's my later Anvil name, Gomez. And there's- What is that about? This item they came up well, with. Well, tea
1: it. bag right. is because he's English, okay? Uh-huh. We, it has
0: no <laughs> yeah. sexual connotation.
1: It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's so tea later. time. It's tea time. It's uh-huh. tea time. So it's it's
2: Peter road, right. time. Well, it's like a it's cup like, of tea.
0: Yeah. And then, and then and Gomez. Then, and,
2: Gomez was, and Gomez is strictly just his lifestyle. You know, somebody who well, you know, whoops around, Gomez, he has lots Gomez of toys.
1: When, when, the, when the movie start, started getting Eccentric. released and it started becoming successful, he goes, I've got the best train set in all of Hollywood. <laughs> and right. we went, He's Gomez Adams. That's right. so that
3: became oh, Gomez. I yeah,
1: that yeah. Was it, just.
3: But importantly, Rob, does it have a, a drum part that Sash can actually play?
1: No, I can't
0: play anything, Rob, still to this day. Well, you
2: know, I I don't know. He he always tries. You know, we've seen him do what? School Love. I've seen him play School Love, you know. He he can he, he keep the beat, but when it comes down to uh, roles, you know, no, he can't keep yeah. up to Rob.
3: There are videos on YouTube, though, of Sasha sitting in playing. It with was you guys. great. Well, the
0: best one was in Japan when we filmed the end of the movie. I was invited out to do School Love, and it was, it, that was pretty wild. It was like 20,000 people. <laughs> yeah, right. So that was uh, intense. But we we, no, but it's just the connection, the love. Of the fan for the band, we're know?
2: family. You know, we're like family, and we, you know, we're friends. It, is, it is
0: like family.
1: Actually, it is. That's the best way I could describe the, the a... friendship that we have with Sasha. It's not it, like somehow. Sometimes you connect with with certain people in your life in a way that you can't you can't really uh, explain it, but somehow you feel like you've had a past life or something together. Right? I don't know. It's the movie came from that. You know, and that's it, what gives the access. that bond is you, so you're, you're powerful. Gonna, I'm, I'm, we're not going to have a fight or, or, or talk about things or be natural like that. We, we just figured, let him film everything. And if we don't like it, we'll just tell him to make it go away. Yeah, and yeah. so we don't have to worry about it. And that gave 100% access.
2: Sasha said to me very early in the whole thing, he so look, looked at me right in the eyes and so, said, listen, man, I'm not going to do, like, like you said earlier, I'm going to be straight up. I'm going to film all this stuff, but I'm not going to make anything bad. Trust me. You know, and I told him, I trust him. You know, Mm. we had like, and we shook hands and I I felt very comfortable after
1: that point.
3: I mean, you have to realize when you're
1: letting people have access like that.
3: I went with the friendship. And what was 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 the experience the first time you watched the movie?
2: Oh, I had to, I was the last guy to see it. I guess Sasha had it, wanted it that way. So I was the last person to see, I saw it at his house in, in that living room. And
0: as soon as it was ended, we, uh, we ended the film, Rob looked at me and said, I play it again. Like he didn't even give me a thought, and he watched it twice in a row to absorb Yeah, it, it was it was it,
2: it dazzled me beyond words at that time because I, it's not what I expected. I didn't know what to expect. He filmed mm-hmm. everything, you know. We, after a while, I said, "Wait a minute, what kind make, of movie? Yeah, did we're you making make? a documentary about a band, but this guy's like filming things that like family shit and fighting and like like all this other stuff, right?" Like, so I couldn't get what like what, what's what? so when I saw it, I got it, and then I said, "Oh my fucking god, this movie's gonna rip people's souls out." <laughs> That's what I thought at first. I said, this yeah. movie's going to kill fucking people, man. Because it was killing me, you know, watching, right? You know, And after the third time, I just said to him, I think it, uh, it was a genius piece of work. And that was before anybody saw it. Mm. That's, so that was my impression. And
0: mm-hmm. again, you know, with these things, if someone sets out to make a genius piece of work, I mean, you set out, you follow an instinct, you go with a story, you go with a feeling... And then you, sometimes you have that feeling and the movie doesn't come out good. In this case, there was just such purity and emotion from these guys. And we were so emotional making the film. I mean, now I look at the film and I think about all the people who aren't here anymore. Yeah, a lot of people are gone. Like wow. to Rob and Lips, both their mothers are alive in this film. Yeah, they're, you know, gone, they're And, gone. and, and Jethro mm. and Chris Tangaridis, the producer. I mean, so many people and are the not dog, around. And the dog. And the dog. Uh, my, my dog. Yeah, your brother.
2: Uh,
1: the, 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 uh, in the English, the English uh, uh, journalist, the guy who... Yeah, Malcolm did, Dome. Malcolm Dome, Dome, Dome he's he, passed away. Yeah, he just passed away. Yeah. So a lot
2: of people yeah. in that movie And, and
3: Lemmy. And, and Lemmy, Lemmy, yeah,
2: Lemmy, of course.
3: <laughs> and, you yeah. know, did Lemmy Lips invite you to join Motorhead at some point, like early in your career? Yeah. yeah. He did. You said no.
1: Yeah, well, we were both early in our careers. He was losing Eddie Clark, and he was, he was in a panic. Come and help me. I know you love Motorhead. You could probably do it. And I said, yeah, I could probably do it, but I can't. I'm in Anvil, I'm going have into the all. studio
0: in a week. What do you mean? <laughs> right. Join Motorhead, what, what's Anvil gonna do? We're under contract. And I, and and I remember that tour because Lemmy loved the band so much. He asked Anvil to open for Motorhead on the Another Perfect Day tour in 83. Oh, that's that's and true. I went on tour with these guys as they were opening for Motorhead, Motorhead have never been louder. I mean, it was like standing next to oh, three seven seven sevens taking oh, off, it was like, it was almost too much. But anyway, you were on tour with with him. And I remember the moment when Lemmy's like, Clark has left, Brian Robertson isn't working out. You need to come into Motorhead. And, you know, Lips would not leave Rob. And mm-hmm. Rob's had other opportunities himself to go, you know, to, to yeah. join. You know, for, 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 you for us, man. it's
2: always, this is the way to do it. Work for yourself, do your own thing. Doesn't matter, you know, can dangle Carrots here? Man, you can make more money here. I, again, it's not about the money. I wanna be happy. I wanna feel honest to myself. So that's why, you know, and this, mm-hmm. this feels honest. Mm-hmm. You know, this band always has. That's why we're still here.
3: How many bands rock it out for 50 years, stay together. You guys are best friends still. I mean, that in and of itself, set aside everything else is unbelievable. Is an unbelievable accomplishment. So what do you, I'm sure young musicians, young creative people want advice from you. Like, what do you say to, that young musician or writer or filmmaker or anybody who's trying to burst something creative into the world about like well, how the, to approach my, that. Well, my,
1: my, biggest, my, my biggest advice is make something and be something that no one else can be but you. Yeah,
2: be an individual. That's what
1: it comes down to. You yes. got to be you and you got to find out what that is. And the way you find out is by doing it and being you. And then you can slowly recognize what that is and zero in on it and hone it and get it better and better. That's how you do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Finding your voice, you know, takes a bit of time sometimes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah you, you got to learn to
1: discover what, what keys do I sing in best? What words sound best? Yeah. Wh- ne- never mind what fits this song. All, all those things. You know, it's, it's a, a learning process. It, it, it applies process. to the
0: movie too. You know, Anvil was a movie that only I could have made. You know, right, that's, similar that's to my true. dinner with Hervé was a movie only I could made. I could have made. You know, it's like you've got to do the thing that's so uniquely yourself. And whatever happens, it doesn't matter because you're doing the thing that only you can do. Right. That's right. You got so to be honest to yourself.
3: Yeah, like what do you? As somebody who you've worked with Spielberg and Tom Hanks and Anthony Hopkins well, a, and all of these hey, people, it's a difference
1: but, between being in a cover band and being in an original band. Yeah, 100%. you're not going to make it, make playing
3: someone else's music. <laughs> right. That's right. As simple as that. Despite like this storied career that you've had sasha you're you're best known for anvil yeah. right yeah, your yeah, most yeah. personal movie my
0: most personal movie yeah
3: um so with that I like think how that does that inform a, yeah. how you make choices about the projects you get involved well, with I would or say the that
0: curiosity
3: that you choose i would to say explore. i have a
0: you know pretty healthy career doing working you know doing stuff and uh, i'm you know i'm doing another movie with helen mirren you know again there, there's a lot of personal stuff coming up but I would say for me, Hervé and, and Anvil are the two films, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think are for me the most personal and the best films. And But there's also making a living. You can't make these kind of, you know, movies like Anvil don't happen every time you make a movie. Um, that said, all of the experiences I had in all the other things, helped me make these personal movies. Like, Anvil came from a pure place, but I had some experience, you know, having done other stuff and, you know, been brought in as a rewriter on, you know, some quite big movies and I've Mm -hmm. ghostwritten lots of things and I've also, you know, but working with actors, (laughs) you know, like learning how to manage and handle volatile and difficult emotional scenes and situations. I mean, that was a skill I think I brought to Anvil because there were times where, you know, you could tell this train could have come off the track but because i had some experience from other areas i was able to kind of navigate that so there is a connection between the works you do the thing the work you do professionally and mm-hmm. and and these personal films but there's more personal films to come so anvil is the first film and for those of you who've seen it ends with a photo of me and lips taken on a tour of canadian hockey arenas in 1985 My Dinner with Hervé ends with a photo of me and Hervé Villachez in his hotel room a few days before he committed suicide. And there's a third film. I call them the photograph films that I won't tell you, but the title is Mizu and that will be... And if I'm known for those films and I will be... And principally Anvil, I'm, I'm so lucky to have that happen, you know. And, you know, you just... As a filmmaker... You're lucky if it even happens once. So it, it's well, that's, uh,
1: yeah, that's right the same place. thing with with music. It's the same thing with music. You can yeah. make you make a a, a a real hit for yourself once. Yeah, and then basically,
0: who it, knows it, what happens? It, yeah,
1: it, it sustains you. F- it, look at it. It's just, metal on metal album sustained me for 50 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I but I would mm-hmm. but I would say speaking to the point of right. it doesn't mean it's my best album by my right. uh, my standards, yeah. but it set me up so that i could do you know but, but, the but, but 20 I've, other albums but i will <laughs> say the
0: ones where i've struggled the most like with hervey me and peter dinklage tried to get that movie made for 17 years yeah. and we were told flat out this movie will never get made and we persisted i took the lesson of anvil and me and peter dinklage applied now then Game of Thrones hit, and then there was a chance, and then finally it got made, and in the way that we really wanted to. But that was also years of of, of struggle and and, yeah, and that, stuff. And, and
1: I watched that. Mm. I watched that from the onset. I mean, at that at that party that that mm-hmm. we met you at. That's when I became aware of the whole I story. The whole yeah, I mean, this story. Is, about Hervé, and there was the the, the big. It was uh, your first of, script, uh, Hervé,
0: and yeah, yeah, and you, yeah. That script was led to me working Can with Spielberg. You, you I wrote a like, short wrote And a I short think, in, if I'm not mistaken, that lady, for that. his yeah. girlfriend, that's was right, at cafe. that party. She was,
1: yeah. And that, that's where the, his his whole focus, when I first met him,
0: was that he was going to make this movie about Hervé's last hours. And it's like, wow, okay. And that was, and and, and again, I was told, don't wait your time with that. And I wrote it as a short script, a 34 page script about H- Herve Villachez. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, this is the most expensive short in history. I had it budgeted. It was like $4 million in 1998, like, <laughs> like never going to happen. But
3: that's what got you an agent and kind of- But that got me an agent. Got your name any- out there in terms of I, writing. I, I
0: met Steve's Alien. He yeah. passed it on to Steven Spielberg. That ended up with me working with Spielberg. So again, the source of all of it was a personal story that I was passionate about that only I could tell.
3: And then Anvil also reaching all of these other people that that ultimately leads you into this. Well, these I mean the only reason projects. I got to
0: direct Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren in Hitchcock was because of Anvil because Tony Hopkins is a massive Anvil fan <laughs> and I watched the movie 3 times. So when I met Tony Hopkins for the first time, I put him and lips on the phone. <laughs> he was like
1: hello hello (laughs) hello, lips i'm going oh my god he he was doing his hannibal lecter
0: voice (laughs) hello lips like whatever he was doing but it was like what i'm saying is you you do this stuff you have no Uh idea what's going to happen and the most unexpected things like i was told absolutely categorically by my agents at the time i should not self-fund a documentary about an unknown heavy metal band from Canada. That was like career death. I needed to go meet Adam Sandler and I needed to go meet whoever else and do these big rewrites at wherever it was. I had an instinct. I ignored all the people who told me, (laughs) you know, on on the face of it, right? Probably not a great idea, but it doesn't matter because my instinct told me it Mm. was the best thing. And ironically, uh, you know, I later fired those people, you know, fuck them. Like if you're not going to support me, and 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 of course the irony is that that turned out to be you know this incredible right. thing that still is going on 13 years later. Where it's coming out into theaters again. I mean, yeah. like, so it just means it's actually
1: it's actually interesting. Um, my, my, I perceived all this what it was on the onset. Yeah, I, I really. I You're really on a different did. level with this. I lips. really did, but yeah. but like tapping the thing into is, some past life But the life thing stuff. is, and and I even said, and I and even in discussions with my younger brother, when I told him about the thing, um, he was he, his predictions were, he's going. Your friend is looking to make a very very special movie about about your failed career, and it's going to make both of your careers explode like a rocket and that's what's going to happen out of this because it's got to because it's it's what it's sort of what the what the fuel is for all of it See, and he thought it was just if the, if and at the onset that's what he's going this, this is amazing I hope it works out for and you guys and, when I, and
0: I remember I was at my Uncle Marty's house at 5 Ava Road in Toronto and I called up Lips and he came over and I said I have this instinct about a film it was like let's have an exploratory conversation and Lips broke down into tears and because it, was, it
1: was what I had called called as you know 15 years mm-hmm. before when I was sitting in a car with Johnny Z telling him I'm gonna have to wait till a fan grows up and helps me make it the next time around this was my foretelling but not only that i i when the movie did start taking off i i I remember having a conversation with Sasha. i go this is a, a a flagpole movie for you man you, you. This is like your metal on metal. Like whatever metal on metal was for me, uh-huh. this is going to be your metal on metal. And you, at that time, you did not want to hear that. You go, yeah. what do you mean? I got a whole, a whole mess of. I got to make lots of movies, man. They can all be big yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going, yeah. dude. Sometimes you get a special moment, and you don't know, and you I don't will re- say that, and you don't realize it right. at the time. He
0: knew much more than I did at the time how special it was going to be. When I saw it at Sundance and when we went to Hot Docs in Toronto and we did the big theater and people went nuts, I started to get the sense. But initially, I was like... Are you crazy, man? What do you mean? What are said, you what saying? Are you talking about? <laughs> like, when he started crying when I told him I wanted to make a movie, I was like... A bit like why is he crying? I didn't really understand, but he knew, like almost, mm. he had an intuition before I did about what was going to happen. I could never have predicted, though, and I don't think you could have that. Thirteen years later, this movie would be coming out again. Impossible. No, but I, I, I never saw. I never I, saw. It I predicted
1: that it would have a huge, long life.
0: Yeah, yes, that's true,
1: and that's and that's, the reason that I felt it would have a long life is because the band still exists and it was a meaningful it was meaningful enough see this is the thing and it's not that I'm full of myself that's not where this is coming from it's a special band and it, every everything has its claim to fame or whatever this is part of what anvil is it's part of the, our claim claim to fame and it's going to be long lasting and because it's a real spinal tap it's going to outlive <laughs> yeah. the fake one because it's a real living, breathing entity. Both <laughs> both things are going to live off of each other and propel it well into the future until they're, Until one of us disappears and it's probably going to be us because we're human beings and we have a, a, a finite end. But, but ultimately what it is is one feeds the other. We go and play a gig, all of a sudden the movie starts appearing on in the local theaters, they 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 get the uh, they buy it from they Sasha, and all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. every time we go They've, out and do yeah. a tour,
0: a movie starts playing in, in different places. So it it brings life. I that mean, it was went. it was an it was it's been an extraordinary journey for me. Probably one of the high points was um, Marty Scorsese did a documentary about George Harrison called Living in the Material World, probably six or seven years ago, and I was invited completely out of the blue to a private party at the Beverly Hills Hotel, a dinner to celebrate the movie. And I was sitting next to Olivia Harrison. Mm. And I was like, I don't know George Harrison or any of them. And so I'm at this dinner and anyway, Scorsese comes over and he said, you did Anvil. And I said, yeah. He said, that's my favorite music movie of all time. Doesn't get any better than that, man. You know, and we had had a print of the film go to New York. And we didn't know who it was for and it was Scorsese had personally requested the film and kept it private and he watched the movie. And I think he even kept the print. But to get someone, my hero director come to me and say you did something really incredible that still resonates. I mean, like, who on earth could have predicted that? I mean, it just still that was just like... For yeah. me as a filmmaker, like I hit that note. it's
3: unbelievable and um, and, t-
0: and that just you know is is you never like I had no idea, man. i I mean, I don't think any of us had any idea that a lot no. of this would happen no, no. you know, you know how I, say, well, because know because how I felt right? except
1: for yeah. me you're which you're is, and I I that's okay yeah. which was was wonderful to watch you guys learn yeah. what I knew yeah. was going to happen I was skeptical <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, was this skeptical guy was right? yeah, going to be the worst <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's yeah. like dude we're driving <laughs> in Europe and we're, we're getting lost in the middle of the fucking woods because we the crazy the crazy tour managers tell turn off into this thing and we turn down and we're lost in the woods let me tell you a
0: quick story on that and I go
1: to yeah, but I'm going. We're only going to have to do this once. We're never going to have to do this again. Trust me, Robo. Just let's just get through it, so, and you'll see, man. So this me, is all for so a reason. reason. Chris,
0: Seuss, and Matt Dennis we're in this. We're in a camper van for, following Anvil through the forests of literally of Transylvania. We're in Romania, in Transylvania. <laughs> we're following. It's like three in the morning. Tiziana, the crazy tour thing. It's like okay, we stop here, right? So we stop, and we're like, what is going on? Anyway, we got some sleep at five fifteen. It's it. it, The the sun came up, and we realized that we were on the edge of a cliff with a (laughs) 400-foot drop to certain death in a gorge. And me and Chris woke up, and we were like, "We're this far away from dying, and we're like, we're going to die for Anvil." It was like constantly. like it's insane, not even—it's not fake. We were lost, it's all this oh, stuff right.
1: is, is true, man. It just says, like, how are we getting through this? Like, what? Like the, <laughs> what the hell is that?
3: I mean, the thing is, like, what I like, what I take away from the whole thing, though, is, is that when you when you express from the truest, deepest part of your heart, that you're 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 basically. Paving the way for magic to happen, not in any kind of guaranteed sense, but you 're sort of you 're sort of casting your vote for like mystery to enter your life and I think there 's something really instructive about approaching your life or the decisions that you make about where to invest your energy and just Sasha hearing you talk about you know you had you had done this sort of traditional success track in Hollywood and it left you feeling you know a little bit fallow or empty and and then that reconnection process of finding that thing that gets you excited when you wake up in the morning and having the audacity to continue to pull that thread when there were a lot of you know people trying to talk you out of it and a lot of resistance it's just i think it's just really powerful i think people you know, the will same, tra- the same story can be said for your entire career and everything that you guys well i mean you my, know, my
1: just- <laughs> it's it's hilarious when i stop and think about it my mother's constant nagging me as a kid you got to go to school and you got to do this and you got to do that and you're never you're never gonna and 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 that uh, you're making a you're wasting your life and your decision to make no money and and my whole life was was focused on proving her wrong
3: Was it honestly
1: as crazy as that sounds? I'm going to prove you you, wrong. If it's the last thing
3: I do on Earth, you don't strike me as somebody who's being driven by like resentment. Like you seem like you're a pretty happy guy.
1: No, not it's not it's not resentment. I'm going to have fun doing what you say I shouldn't do, and you know (laughs) like it's teenage defiance. It's it's (laughs) I never grew. It's like yeah, I'm growing old, but I never grew up. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and there's something uh, magical about that. And for some people, right, that I, might be who oh, should grow I'm up. not going to let let the, the, a grown-up world taint my my innocence. I'm going to still act as though I've still got a chance when there might not be, and I'm just going to keep going with the innocence. I can do this. But you
0: know, but here's the thing: when I met Lips on that first weekend, and he came to LA, and you met him, Rich, at the party. I started the weekend thinking, "Oh God, this is quite sad." By the end of the weekend, I was like, "You know what? They're gonna, they're gonna fucking do it, man!" And like, he was so believed it so much that had he not had that belief, there would have been no film to make. Sure, the film was about the story in the present, about the present, the struggle right now. Yeah, but come, right on, to yeah, keep but come going.
1: on, let's face it. Anvils are meant to be. There are things that are meant to be, and I, I'm sorry, I've I've had that feeling since I've since since. I was a, a, a teenager. It's meant to be. I'm not supposed to quit. Clearly. You're not supposed to. I'm, my, my, I was, I'm significant. I mean something in this world. And I was going to see, I'm going to see, I, my whole my point was, I'm going to see it through. I don't give a shit. Just My mother taught me not to give a shit.
3: Right. But there's you like told
1: st- me I'm never gonna make it. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm and and you know what? The makings of my personality, of w- w- where it where it was fostered. Yeah, from, I get it. It was there right I get to it. the end. But yeah. but
0: Rich, speaking to your point about success, you know, about the meaning of success, which I think Anvil is redefining, you know, like working in Hollywood, it's so geared to what are the box office numbers, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's so geared to external things. And what I've observed is that if you're happy, it's usually in spite of success rather than because of it. You know, success comes from a completely different place. You know, it's about, um, you know, I'm like, I'm so proud and happy because of Anvil, but you know, it's like, it didn't take $200 million at the box mm-hmm. office, but I will say that the impact and the depth of the feeling that is created in so many people is is you couldn't it's priceless yeah. you can't pay it so it's yeah, like yeah, it's, the film yeah, also changed it's my true. idea and orientation about what does it mean well i think in terms of anvil and longevity i mean here we are 13 years later with this movie you know it stands the test of time it speaks to people you know that's you can't buy that man and 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 the movie that took 500 million dollars 10 years ago no one remembers. No one cares about mm. that. It's about the quality of what you're doing and the reasons why you're doing it. And that has to be the, always the determining factors in what, what I yeah. think in what you define as success. Because I thought I came to Hollywood, I went to film school, I'll sell a movie for a million dollars or whatever. You know, it's like, that's not success. That's just a thing that happens yeah. that you have to get over. And a piece yeah. of luck. Yeah, right, and, right. and a bit of luck. Yeah, yeah, and it's right. like, you know, it works for a weekend. You know, I remember when that happened and I sold this in 2005, I sold a pitch for like an insane amount of money. It was the biggest selling pitch of the year. I remember we sold it on a Friday night and by Sunday I was like in a depression. I was like, "Now I have to write this piece of shit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, it was just like it it, 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 it the Anvil experience totally rewired everything about what I think is important and how I feel about what's important Mm -hmm. and what to me, what is important. And so how,
3: how do you articulate what that is?
0: Like I said, I just think it's about, you know, ultimately it's about being the most authentic human being you can be. And it's about putting something into the world that in some way to someone, lifts them up, is nourishing, is meaningful. You know, sometimes and pure entertainment can be a great diversion. You take people away from their problems, you know, they're able to have an escape. But really to to have the ability to to make people think, to make people think about the person right next to them. And sometimes maybe I'm in judgment, sometimes maybe I'm in fear. And How about listening? How about, you know, like just a sense of empathy. I think that the whole movie, Anvil, is about empathy. It's about looking past your, you know, top line judgments and your initial, you know, everyone rushes to judge, man, you know. But when you strip the layers away and you go deeper, you you find things that you would never expect. And that's what I love is if, and I, I think that happened with Herve, I think that's happened with Anvil, is just dig a little deeper mm-hmm. and you may find something that you need. And I had no idea how profoundly I needed to make this film. This film, forget what happened and Marty Scorsese loves it and amazing. That's amazing, right? But it was the actual experience of spending time with these people and seeing how our work together changed all of our lives. Like that experience yeah, that's was remarkable. incredible because yeah, that's we were on this remarkable. for years. Yeah. I mean this is not something we did right. in a weekend. This was Yeah. yeah over a few, and we a all years. sacrificed and we all were at the absolute brink and we were ne- I was nearly completely broken by this. Completely. My accountant said you I may have to de- declare you bankrupt next year. You know. Hmm. And um but it was worth it and I was still happy to do it. And you and I have known it's each other a long time, Rich. Yeah, no, no, the stuff We've that opened, brother, and
1: the stuff that my brother Gary said all came true is what, what we actually did. Well, you know, it's and from an, a, 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 an objective perspective, that's exactly what we because did. Because
0: also, mm-hmm. Rich and I have known each other for more than, for 20 years at least. And we have both been at that point in different ways. Yeah. And to, to, to survive beyond that point, to just not give up is the example I got from you. Yeah, and and it's so many people. The most interesting people that I, I know are the people who've not had it easy. Actually, <laughs> who've had a really oh well, yeah, who, who've had to
1: <laughs> sure. It's colorful, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: when it's really colorful, it's really
1: fascinating. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the the bands all try to. I, I, I just watch all these copycats trying to capture some some of the essence of that animal movie but they can't because they haven't really got they haven't got the the history they didn't get the they, they haven't acquired the access The
0: the director never got the access they never get emotional but stuff another, but another in. beautiful thing that happened that i should mention is that you know searching for sugar man i love the movie and simon chin who produced it is a friend of mine and the day after they won the Academy Award for best music for best documentary you know I got a call from Simon um, and I think and Malik and to say thank you for opening the door because Anvil was the movie that changed a lot of things and in fact academy changed their rules around music documentaries and then Sugarman won 20 feet from stardom and you know mm-hmm. so we really mm-hmm. did play a part in opening yeah. things it up to music, up a documentaries.
3: New era of music documentaries yeah
0: it was like we were one of those films mm-hmm. i think did yeah, But the, was, big, Dig the was biggest the biggest difference no no the biggest difference between you know, most, yeah, Dig was just before yeah. yeah
1: okay the biggest difference for for the for the for the anvil documentary to every almost every other documentary made about bands they show it all in retrospect they never show what we did with with the anvil movie let's show what's happening in the moment yeah now and yeah, capture it as we're like,
3: doing it it's not talking not, heads not, not, looking, not, looking not, back upon a career yeah, yeah, right. it's exactly. not talking in, about once about what was but what do you, it's what are we doing tomorrow and how we're going to go about doing it and let's film it Yeah. so the the i mean inter- i have to ask this question like So the kind of tagline that gets thrown around with the movie is real life Spinal Tap, like you said it earlier, but I've always wondered like how that lands with you guys. Like, how do you feel about the movie being called that?
2: Uh, I I don't like it, I never did. Spinal Tap is the fake anvil. And that's, that's
0: and that's, that's just the title of this. Podcast. Spinal Tap is the fake Anvil. Yeah. And funnily enough, when Anvil was started doing the rounds and started people, you know, Spinal Tap was on their 25th anniversary. And those guys who I love because I love that uh-huh. movie, right? This this was like for me my two favorite films, Spinal Tap and With Nail and I. And Anvil is a sort of combination of those two films. And so when they were they got so sick of hearing about Anvil on their 25th anniversary, they told their publicist. I don't want any questions. They didn't want any questions. Anvil. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was we had an MTV reporter interviewed them and uh, you, they, they asked about Anvil, like against the rules. Um, And you could tell that um, Nigel Tufnell was very upset and that Broad said, what's it like, you know, when you hear about Anvil and Nigel Tufnell looked at (laughs) David St. Hubbins and and Derek Smalls and they obviously were like really (laughs) not happy and Nigel Tufnell's turned and he went, it's like being crushed by a piece of art. (laughs) <laughs> That's what he said. And I seen the clip of that. That's they were so great. F- sweet about it. So I'd love to get, you know, them together. Yeah. It would be great. That I, has
3: to happen. I yeah. think so. You though, must do that around this I mean, it would be lovely the, if they re-release. were open to it.
0: I don't know, you know, what their attitude towards Anvil is, but I think when Rob said, you know, they're the, they're the fake Anvil. <laughs> I mean, but you know- But you cut him off, Rob. You were going to say something else too.
2: Yeah, no, just- uh, it's just a it's a good hook catch for marketing i thought the spinal tap thing comparing us but we're we're, we're nothing like that mm-hmm. in my mind at all we're real fucking musicians man
1: those guys are, it's, it's, are not it's, that it's 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 you know we're real fucking a man. fake it's fictitious yeah, none of it's it, everything is taken from everything is taken from so real life and, exactly. and re, recreated whereas the, the the anvil film is
0: it is real life and there is no but, recreation but remember, <laughs> the reason spinal tap is so great is because it's so close to the truth but those guys got it from bands like Anvil and Jethro Tull and mm-hmm. Saxon and whatever else was their inspiration. All of the things that happened, like when Derek Smalls gets caught in the chrysalis pod, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that happened. And
1: the cucumber down the pants, Trousers. That, that, that was stolen up,
0: the Biff did it. That's right, Biff from and, Saxon, At the that. airport. So yeah. all of these things are taken from real things. That's why they're funny. So I don't know that there's, you know, it's we could be that edge. upset about no, it. Teeth.
2: Well, it's a good
1: marketing clerk.
2: Uh, yeah catch
0: yeah it's uh, people you know, love famili-
1: that the familiarity go with, go with and and be able to at least be able to tag it to something else so that at least they know and to be able to explain it to, to somebody else it's like some what's that band like well they're sort of like that well they, in, yeah. in, in the same sense what's this movie like well it kind of reminded me of spinal tap yeah so it's it's kind of a catch a catch, a hook, yeah. a, a hook and catch <laughs> kind of thing. Kind of thing. Origi-
2: original, yeah. the real original Anvil Pounders. They're not happy with any of it.
1: No, with, uh, right. the Pounders the origi- are your well, fans. Like, the fans the I original, call The original Anvil Pounders. They, they didn't, very they, upset they, they the didn't world need a movie. Should have known about you years ago.
2: They don't need a know, movie to tell us you, that you know you guys right. are a good band and. That, all that kind of shit. So you know, we dealt with that all along from the, the our original base. You know what I mean? But
0: yeah. you know what was really interesting—they liked that, the movie,
2: but it was they—they they felt like they didn't like it the same as somebody who's not a, a a fan,
0: right? But you know, but you know what was interesting was that all bands, whether they're heavy metal or pop or rappers or whatever, they've all they have similar things happen. Like I remember speaking to Chris Martin. Yeah, they, like, all do, they all do. Of yeah, course, because that's
1: the what life, ha- sure.
0: mistakes happen. That's yeah. what happens in yeah.
1: everyday life. That's what happens. Why, why are there car accidents? They're not happening on purpose. You know what I mean? <laughs> Every they're, they're, they're accidents. <laughs> for me to even yeah. decode. But like, come on, man! It's the same.
0: It's the same thing with anything that goes on on the road or bands that. or
1: whatever. Rich, Stuff happens. What
0: that? Rich, that's a present for you, Rich. Let me see. It's something very special. What it's a limited edition. You may want to try that. But for these times, <laughs> oh, it's
3: a ma- it's an anvil can mask. Can you do?
0: Can you live without an, an anvil
3: man. face mask? Yeah. I actually have to go to Canada in a couple of weeks so I can wear this for that. <laughs> yeah. For
2: that now shirt. you have Come an official animal mask. Yeah.
3: Okay. That um, what happened to the sequel? I know you guys were working on solving world peace well, at some point. Well, we, yeah, so well, that, we, we
2: started shooting.
0: And and I'm really like, disappointed to hear that the actual trailer is. It's gone. No, no, no. We have we have it somewhere. We oh, oh, now we have it. We, we, do, we <laughs> now no, we, we do, have it. We, we do have it. Yeah. John, John has it, and no, no, John Peter. Okay, we we do have the trailer. The issue is, we started shooting, and I think we all got busy with different things, and it also got very heavy because the band was invited to Israel. We were going to go to Israel. A lot of it was around the you know the Jewish family history mm-hmm. of Rob and also of Lips, and what we did manage to do, which I think may at one point resurface. I don't know, but. Lips and Rob went to Auschwitz, where yeah. uh, Rob's father uh, had escaped from, and his grandfather, unfortunately, had passed away. And they looked in the book at the camp, yeah, and, no, the, the, register and, and right. the Reiner family name was there. And I have this incredible moment. Remember on the suitcases? Oh, the suitcases! Yeah. My, my There's
1: relatives a dis- of, my, my, mm. of my of my of my mother's my mother's uh, family, mm. and really, so, really hard to take wow. actually so, so for me because it's just like. Ah, oh, that's okay. It never really affected me. I don't didn't know these people. They were all dead before I was born. But that's the whole, that's the whole bloody point. And i and and I when I when I when we went there, I, I was like so. Uh, it was such an awakening. Yeah,
2: it was unbelievable. Because
1: because what you what you came to realize, this happened not that long ago. Yeah. And when you hear about. You know, when you're a little kid and, and you hear about all this stuff through your whole life, you're thinking they're talking about ancient history. You never think about it. You know, when we show up there and I'm looking at the at the at the uh, electric fences and I'm going, "This isn't that long ago, man." And these buildings look like stuff in and around a home. This is not ancient. This is within the last. Yeah,
2: like 50 years, years man years, the, the, this the, life cycle, right? that,
1: that building is no no older than my my house wait a minute that means and then all of a sudden it started really sinking in that in my era and in my lifetime I am still I am still attached to the atrocities that went on in that that bloody place that there are literally hundreds of Lost souls that I'll never know that I should have known, and then I started to come to realize of all the all the, the 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 people that shoulda woulda coulda been in the world today, and the kind of differences those those people. It just as simple as when I realized. Look at Rob's father's survival of Auschwitz brought a speed medal. What else could, got? What else could could have gotten lost in Auschwitz? If Rob's father didn't survive, like, so w- what, would, would people be using double bass drums the way they do today because Rob doesn't exist? Would I have had a drummer to, pl- to create this stuff with? I mean, it's a lot of the, those things started to so, dawn so, so on in the
0: In the filming, we all came to this realization that Rob's family and Lips' family, because he discovered that one of his relatives who we didn't know, her name was written on one of the suitcases in the mm-hmm. display. And then it suddenly occurred to us that it's possible that Lips' relative and Rob's grandfather and father knew each other at Auschwitz. And then the wow. cameraman, Chris Seuss, mm-hmm. you know, his, his family was also, had lost people at Auschwitz and in the Holocaust and my family, Toronto Jews, also. And there's this underpinning of this incredible story of the Jewish immigrants and what happened in Germany in the 1930s. And all of the key people in this movie, in one way or another, either come from that or are connected from it. And then it just... So that in itself was maybe the reason why we we did all the filming that we did, because it brought us to so many different realizations. And then we thought you know and yeah, the, but i mean these things came afterwards that we were right.
1: not really we weren't, wasn't we weren't really conscious of uh, during the making of the movie that it would have that, that that it would that we'd be left with these these feelings that that that, right. that, that that it would evoke these things yeah. i was not thinking about the holocaust during the whole movie no, it wasn't oh, wow. after that it ca- i came to realize we about, wouldn't be we ended yeah. up at the at the jewish film festival that's in san right. francisco Oh my god! and i'm standing exactly. outside right. the place yeah and I look across the street, and I, I look at this fence, and it's got barbed wire on top. And all of a sudden, I go, I wouldn't be standing here if Rob's father didn't survive Auschwitz. I wouldn't be here, mm-hmm. and neither would all these people lining up to see the Anvil movie. And I started coming to realize, holy shit. Talk about meant to bees or something. This is overcoming, not only not only overcoming my obstacles. It's 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 my fellow tribesmen. Mm-hmm. I, I we've the, our survival has has brought forth some of the most some of the most mo, more, most important things that in in human history. And and the, 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 the coming to realize what what got lost. I don't think people ever stop to think about what the possibilities and the potentials that got lost in in that period of time. And in all wars, not just that, but and and the persecution of a of 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 a, of a certain certain people and the, the 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 impact that that could have for 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 the rest of 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 human history. I don't like a lot of things came to you came to realize from the, the, for myself personally from doing that anvil movie. Otherwise, where would I get that stuff? And we from? discovered
0: lots of really really weird things. Like Lips's brother Gary bought a house that my grandfather Jack Kasoy owned in Toronto. There were all these crazy connections and Chris's family too. That's and it was all about, uh, it was all about the kind of- The survival. The survival. But what
3: happened? So this movie never got So we, got we shot a lot and... of
0: stuff and then I think we all got busy and we always said to each other, you know, we may come back to it, who knows, because a lot of that footage over that yeah. time and I, interviews I, I, have been shot. It could be that in 10 years time, all this we've shot over six years. The different there, 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 made, yeah.
2: there is an appetite for it. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there, if it got made and blah, blah, blah.
0: Everybody would want to see it. We get asked all the time. The idea was that we'll make, a, we'll make a yeah, film right. about Judaism and identity and survival. That becomes a really interesting Anvil sequel. Anvil 2 Quest for World Peace was the original yeah. title. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then I thought, let's call it Metal in the Shtetl. I thought. <laughs> but I'm um, so, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's I, don't yeah. I don't know what's going to uh, happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But
2: if there was a movie made, uh, it would have been uh, embraced. Yeah, yeah. I don't by the same it. by the same crowd that that it took in the first one. I don't because they wanted it. to know what happened to the band. What, what are you guys doing? You mm-hmm. know that kind of stuff. Um, and the story having some kind of a story that would have been the whole catch. Right. Anyways, but the trailer was good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I cut a trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the trailer yeah. was the trailer, was, that, the trailer yeah. was cool. But
3: this movie's coming out. We're recording this in November. Yeah, it's coming yeah. out to coordinate
0: yeah. with the Anvil album also being released. I can't mention the title, but it's fantastic. Well, you know, but I, I,
2: I guess I guess we could because by the time this is not getting released, yeah. so do you, want, Lips, do you want to then, say the title anyway, of the album? Sure.
1: The the Anvil the new Anvil album is called
0: Impact Is Imminent.
3: Of course it <laughs> of is. Course <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> of course it is. Of course is. I've just seen the album artwork and it features an anvil as asteroid hurtling <laughs> towards the earth about to destroy it. But for those okay. Anvil fans who haven't had a chance to look it up, I would suggest looking up the image online of the album cover Anvil Is Anvil from a couple of years ago. That's my favorite. It's uh, an anvil, a p- an oil painting of an anvil staring at itself in the mirror. It's called Anvil Is Anvil. And I called up Rob and I said how fucking high were you when you came up with this concept? And he said, pretty fucking high, isn't it great? And I was like, yes, it's great. I mean, the whole point is, man, nothing changes. You know, it's like these guys have been going since the film and we have a new album that will Mm -hmm. coincide with the re-release.
3: Beautiful, man. Um, I love you guys. I'm so excited for you and uh, it's deserved, man. It's so cool. That this movie is getting a new life with yeah. a new generation. Yeah, that's crazy. It really is. Great. It's uh, and you guys are just rocking all the way through it. I mean, to it see dawn to dusk. Yeah, when Sasha. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, when Sasha said, "Hey, man, I, you know the movie's gonna come back." I, I said, what, "What are you talking about? <laughs> like really <laughs> come
1: back? Yeah. Come back?"
2: He goes, "Yeah, it's gonna get re-released and it's gonna be but like, we were, a, we were like we're a, a new movie of, kind of thing." I go, yeah, we really? were kind of baffled. That, that never happens, right? I said, that, yeah, that it's never happens." Kind of baffling. You, you want you want to see the
0: same movie again, but you don't want you don't want to see a new one like. Huh? Mm. Well, there'll be some extra stuff and yep. you know, it's, again, it's gonna be remastered, which is great. But I mean, the, the the reason this is happening, like I said, is because of the 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 young kids yeah, who've seen sure. the film and that's why we're doing it. It's you know, an appetite right.
2: for this type of thing.
0: Yeah, so awesome. it's gonna be so cool. It's to gonna be it, so cool. We'll, we'll invite you to, to the premiere, which will you be happening around the, yeah, of course. Cause the last one was not so bad, right? Yeah,
3: <laughs> no, that was fun. Um, And uh, Sasha, I gotta say, I mean, you've been on the show before and I've probably said this publicly, but you had mentioned, yes, we've known each other for a long time. And I think over the 20 years of our friendship, we've both gone through a lot and you have definitely been someone who's been there for me during my low moments and difficult times. And a lot of those times coincided with when you were making this movie, like I remember vividly. Uh, a lot of time that we spent together. I so. remember
0: when you got married to Julie, dude, yeah. I was there that day. I remember crazy. talking to
3: you just before. <laughs> I, I we remember were, that very well. you remember well. that conversation? S- yes, vividly, vividly. It's been a while, man.
0: It's cool. You know what,
3: man? We're still so. here. We're
0: still fighting. I know, I know, I feel so lucky that I've yeah. been invited onto this show and to be able to share this, you know, my really good friends. Yeah, thank you very much for having us to have yeah. you guys on. Yeah, it was an interesting chat. It's
3: an honor. Um, so, if people wanna learn more about you guys, the band, where, where do you wanna direct them? Oh, I mean, obviously, go see the Well, we movie. have, uh, what do we have? You still have we, that Yeah, you know, We have we the social
2: media stuff, you know, we have a Twitter, we got an Instagram, we have a Facebook.
3: You oh, got all
1: the stuff they've yeah, got they all the stuff I think crap. that I'll right now we're, reconfi- we're probably okay, and up. actually we still we still have that rinky dinky they still have the rinky dinky website the same
0: website
1: oh yeah same one it really looks identical Dude, to what nothing was like, changes since, <laughs> since, <laughs> since <laughs> 1996 the same fan
3: site alright I'll link all that stuff up in the show but
1: it's so simple and so straightforward everything is listed you click on it it brings it up
3: and are you guys back touring now Yeah, well,
2: with COVID, uh, we had a huge tour last year with the Legal Mm Last or Last Record, right? You know, the Anvil Bong. People need to smoke the Anvil Bong. You know,
0: I guess (laughs) they do. I mean, there's really not much to say after that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we were
2: on. We were. We had a great uh, 65 date tour, and uh, we got 17 dates into the tour, and COVID just crushed, shut Mm -hmm. the world down. So we've been. We did one live stream. Last year, which was interesting, we did that. And we did one show a couple of weeks ago, just to be able to say we did a COVID gig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was kind of cool, right? People were very hungry. It was was great. It was sold out, packed out. Next year. Yeah. uh, The UK tour is coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got big tours. They're doing the biggest
0: uh, ever tour of the UK they've ever done in twenty twenty two. So it's
2: it's just now we're at the mercy of this COVID nonsense. mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, like it's it's for real, but uh, that they get it just open the world up, you know, mm. let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. So that's complicated things. Yeah,
3: in due time. Right. But in the meantime, great to spend an afternoon with you guys. Best of luck and I'll see you at the LA premiere. Okay. Sounds right. good to me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank cool. you for having us. Thank it. you, Sasha. Love you guys.
0: Peace. Love see you.
3: <laughs> that's it for today.